everyone, and welcome to the Shriekcast. I'm your host, ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz, that jazz music that I'll edit in later can only mean <laughs> one thing. Uh, it means we, we've watched another movie. Yay! I love movies. Woo! We, we, we've, we had some popcorn, we sat down, we said lights, camera, action. We did all, we had the little clacker thing that they clacked oh, yeah. in front of the camera. Um, we, we changed the names of all the characters so no one would recognize what we were filming so we could get better deals on, on, on union labor. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so we've done it. We've, we're, we're Hollywood superstars now, but I guess before we get to, uh, the star attraction here, the film, uh, we have some, uh, cleaning up to do since our last episode was kind of a mega four chapter wrap up. We have, we have a little bit more, uh, book stuff to do. Yeah. I mean, I think this is pretty important for us to be, you know, to give back to the community and be a part of the the wider Harry Potter community. Uh, Absolutely. What, what would a book wrap up be without the official Pottermore Wizarding World Book Club? Exactly. I could not agree more. Yeah. So I will take us briefly through this. Um, I think maybe like... The big thing about this one that we can talk about is the themes, because I'm feeling like I, they got a little bit, they kind of were slacking off for a lot of these questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 so we read through some of these last night, and I gotta say, I don't, I think they might need a little bit of a reminder of what a theme is. Yes. Uh, so let's go right into the first theme of Prisoner of Azkaban, which is Crime and Punishment. That one, okay, that one I think at least fits, right? You've got Sirius Black, you've got Harry breaking the rules at the beginning, you've got, uh, you know, them grousing over the firebolt being taken from them, so I can I can sort of see that one, sure. I think, I still think it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, like, I would say that yeah. things that happen in the book, Isn't I really guess are, are, I mean, it's like serious was in jail. Um, yeah. I, su- I suppose the big one is uh, like Sirius is going to be like functionally executed without a trial at the end of the book. And that's definitely crime and punishment in like a bad way. Right. So I guess, so I guess that's like a theme. Yeah. I- I'd say that out of all the ones they chose here, this is maybe the closest to a real one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because there's the part at the beginning where Harry's worried that he's going to get in trouble, but he doesn't because he's special and there's other stuff going on, you know. So, yeah, I can I can kind of see it. That yeah. One, that one I'll give them a B minus on. That's a theme. Yeah, it, it's definitely a theme. Lots of things related to those things happen in the book. It is it does shine a spotlight for me that the book has nothing really to say about those things. Like they, yes. they, it, it, they are ver- they are treated in like that. I mean, I guess it's like Sirius being put in jail without a trial is bad, right? Uh, yeah. But it, but it's all just kind of seemingly happens at random. So I, I'm not sure. The story with it directly. No, it doesn't make much much of like a strong uh, statement on those things. So I'll go right into our first uh, real like question that fits the theme crime and punishment. And it's, do you think Harry regrets blowing up Aunt Marge? <laughs> I mean, she not once does it ever come up again, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think he thinks about it at all, really. Like, he he certainly made a big decision 
uh, you know, afterwards by by leave running away and everything. But like, I don't think Aunt Marge comes up at all ever again. Like, no, like, no, I don't not think at all. He cares. No. And that's, I guess, when I said that I think that they were kind of slacking off with a lot of these questions is that some of them strike me more as like trivia questions. They aren't questions about subtext or like subjective, uh, like takeaways from the book. They're very like, this is just the text, right? Like, right. like maybe he regrets it in, in the way of, of, say like i wish i hadn't have done that because now i'm gonna get put in jail right but i don't <laughs> think this is like a you know cutting to the heart of the issue kind of this question. doesn't weigh on his conscience in the book yeah uh the the twitter verse the twitter twitter because this is all i just want to say again that this is all formatted for me as a twitter moment which makes this very readable um <laughs> and and the takeaway seems to be that people people are glad that aunt marge got blown up yeah which doesn't I mean, answer the question, not. but. <laughs> 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 Thank you. I did notice when I was when I was looking at this stuff that uh, I, I, I don't know if this is just like a functional error of the site, like the way that the Pottermore embedding stuff works. But I did notice on Pottermore itself, most of the tweets they feature in these things are their own tweets and not like any of the responses. And I kind of wonder if it's like a little bit of shade, like. Like none of none of none of you fuckers responded to this, so I guess we'll just feature our own response here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, in the next, I'm just gonna skip ahead because a lot of the questions are really boring. We don't need to hash this out. We've talked about Prisoner of Azkaban for the last many weeks. So I'm gonna skip to the next theme, which is magical creatures. And again, I do agree that this is a theme, and I think it's the maybe the most disappointing part of the book in that it is. <laughs> very mishandled at every turn <laughs> um and i think that that is highlighted by my favorite question uh in this segment that is under the the heading magical or excuse me uh magical creatures and it's are hippogriffs dangerous which again <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh not much room for debate here really is there i mean horses are dangerous right right yeah. Like I, I think that's true. I think I think both horses and eagles could be considered dangerous. Yeah, you and definitely boy, oh boy, you mash them. when you mash them together. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, this sort of ties into how how it was mishandled in the book, right? But like, and honestly, this ties into a problem even with like like the fantastic beasts series right which is like i'm starting to feel like just reading these books and watching these movies that jk jk rowling doesn't have like like a good grip on like what animals are in a weird in a weird way like he- f- f- first few books are, it's just like full of like cartoon animal abuse then we have like the um the like oh it's okay if your pet kills my pet because it's just a that's just the, that's the nature cycle of, that's nature and then there's there's the idea that like these these very powerful independent creatures m- might not be dangerous it's just that Malfoy was rude to one and like it it's 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 such so, such a weird way of like abdicating responsibility like like there are a lot of animals that are very cool and beautiful and 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 stuff but you need to respect them and the fact that they are they are dangerous. If you don't understand how to handle an animal, they are dangerous. Like I went to a uh, like a uh, a rescued like wild bird sanctuary when I was in England earlier oh, this year. Right? It was fucking awesome. But like, you know, they like like they 
they had a thing where they're like, does anyone want to, you know, hold one of the birds? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. And to do that, they like took me aside and like taught me like, you know, how to do it for like five minutes and then put this gigantic fucking leather glove on me because <laughs> they're they're dangerous animals. Like they could rip my hands apart if I wasn't careful, you know, like animals yeah. are dangerous. Like like two humans, that doesn't make them bad. That's not a bad thing that they're dangerous, but like that, that's not a theme of the book. No, and like I feel like sometimes it starts walking toward that as like something to say, right? One of Hagrid's major flaws is that he's unwilling to uh, see animals as dangerous, but at every other point in the story that like gets undermined or mm-hmm. is made, it's just it's just so all over the place, um, <laughs> and. I hate it. Um, I will highlight a community response to the question, are hippogriffs dangerous? And I don't think you're ready for this one. Oh, no. This one is, it's, uh, thank you, Citizen Scrooge Dean, uh, for this uh, profound answer. (laughs) They're certainly less dangerous than humans. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Boom. The most most vicious creature on earth. The yeah. human. This is that's Got like him. that's like a that's a Fantastic Beasts caliber line right there. As in yeah. that is a line in Fantastic Beasts. That is literally <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is literally a line in Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, thank you, Harry Potter community, for these fucking barn busters. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the only one I'm doing for magical creatures. Uh, because again, the other ones are just like trivia questions. They're so worthless. Um I mean this one is basically a trivia question, right? Because Again, yeah, but it's a it's a fun one. It's a horse bird. Yeah, yeah. Um so let me look at our next theme here, which is competition. And I take this as the theme of the Firebolt chapters, our our very favorite uh, little uh, <laughs> Ooh, subplot me. going on in in Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh and I guess this is it's actually like kind of a good one. Because if you remember, I'll, I'll take you take you back in time to when we were reading the Firebolt chapters and like Ron was friends with Harry and Hermione had turned in the Firebolt. So here's the question. Who is the better friend to Harry at this point in the story? Uh, oof. Jesus Christ. This, okay, I only pointed this one out because this is literally the only good, dis- like, actual, like, yeah. real discussion question in any of these. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good one. Like, yeah, I mean, like, because because there you can actually weigh two things, right? Because you have like, well, Hermione's clearly looking out for Harry, but she's like, you know, going behind his back and like, you know, having an authority figure step in. Whereas Ron is clearly supportive of Harry, but like might not have his safety. And so, yeah, like, damn, that's actually a pretty good question, right? You could go back and forth on that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Me too. So I, I'm just, I, you know, I like to give credit where credit is due. I'm Absolutely. not just here. I'm not just here to make fun of Pottermore, um, uh, my favorite website. So absolutely not. I, I don't know, and I, and I think this is a good question. I, I like all the answers, even although I guess my real answer, that's a serious time, is that I think that they are both like highlighting needs that yeah. a friend like good friend traits but also the point in this story neither of them are providing what harry really needs right so yeah yeah so yeah, i like that I like one that. 
Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Let, let me find a um, a funny one from competition, uh, which is mostly funny to me because I forgot that Cedric was in the book at all. And, oh, the, right, and, yeah. and the question is, is Cedric more noble than he is competitive? You might be wondering what that's in reference to. Uh, is well, because he 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 wants he wanted to call off the game after Harry yeah, fell, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I don't think those things need to be at odds. I think you can be noble and competitive. I'd say he's both there because, like, like from his perspective, it probably is not a fair competition if Harry fell off because of Dementors, right? Like. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if like nobility and competitive spirit are really at odds. I do agree, and I feel like that was the point <laughs> of that and him yeah. being in the book. So, but that was yeah. just a little reminder because I'd completely forgotten that he was in there. I, I will say, I still think I I want desperately to believe that the line that there's like it's not even like Cedric talking; it's like a, a throwaway like narration line about like. Cedric congratulating Harry on finding such a good replacement for his Nimbus 2000 or whatever, <laughs> which I I think is such a funny line. And I really want to believe that that's meant to be read as like sort of sarcastic. I don't, I don't think it is like, I like, but I do. That's like the best reading of that possible. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it transcends the absolute face value nonsense of those chapters. Uh, it's like the one good nugget you can pull out of all that <laughs> shit. Like, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And Percy's girlfriend asking to hold the fireball. Oh. That's the other good one. Yeah. Um, so our next theme is grudges. So this is our Snape theme. Mm. Uh, I, I guess that's, is that a theme? I don't think so. I, I don't think that like, interpersonal relate like like labels of interpersonal relationships characters can have our themes what about i guess i guess it's not like i was going to say what about siri like because my my first thought is like snape's grudge against james potter and then my second thought is sirius's grudge against peter pettigrew for for murder but but yeah i don't know i don't know if that's a, a theme so much as a parallel right like Right, well, like, we're back into, like, things that happened. Like, yeah. Like, these these are things that were in, in the book. Um, like, a theme would be, like, trust. Because that's, that's a thing that pops up in the book, right? Like, like you know, do, like, do Lupin and Snape trust each other? Does Sirius, you're like, like, who trusts Sirius? Does Harry trust whoever the anonymous person who sent the broom has his best interest in mind? Like, like, that's kind of, like, placing trust is a theme that runs throughout the book, I think. But I don't know if grudges, because grudges are like one piece of that, right? Like, Yeah, and, and I also feel like the, the the things that are explicitly grudges, they almost come through mostly in the book ex- expedition. So I don't know if that can really sound, right. like, count as a theme. Uh-huh. Um, in, a, in a baffling twist, um, under this theme is this question, um, which, it, which is... Is Hermione close-minded as Trelawney suggests? And I don't even understand <laughs> how, like, what? I, I guess, like, Trelawney held a grudge against Hermione? I guess I Hermione has a grudge against divination. divination. Um, I feel, I felt like this, the reason I picked this one is because I feel like this is a yes or no answer. And the answer is, yes, Hermione is close-minded. Right? Like, <laughs> right. The, the, like there is no... Explicitly, that is the point. Right. Well, I, I I have no discussion for us under that. But the reason no. I picked it out 
is because all the like selected like user answers are no and i'm gonna read and i'm gonna read a couple of them Mm. uh jill says hermione is fiercely principled which can sometimes lead to closed-mindedness but she is always willing to learn which keeps her from it and in this book she was explicitly not willing to learn. Yeah, she literally absolute. walks out of the classroom. <laughs> she absolutely is not willing to learn. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other one is Hermione is fearless and her to the point problems. Excuse me. I can't. I'm like, is this a typo or am I reading it wrong? Hermione is fearless and her to the point problem solver and no funny business personality throws Sybil off. Hermione is not close minded. I like all of those things are true until the last sentence. Uh, like, the like official her- the official account responded back. So she's logically open minded. Great summary. Thanks. <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> off! <laughs> oh my god, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I, re- I really enjoyed that. Um, there's there's like I I think my favorite thing about like the user responses and I and I'm like not. I think it's great that these people are engaging with, like, yeah. talking about books. But there's so much, like, fandom inserted perceptions into the answers to these questions because I think people really want Hermione to be open-minded, right? Like, that has to be it. It's like... Yeah. Because well, uh, they're, 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 you know, perhaps rightfully uh, associating open-mindedness with goodness, right? And their favorite character is good, so therefore my favorite character is good and open-minded right like yeah i i like hermione and oh i like i like to see characters fail yeah like it's i mean this 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 rolls into like a broader problem with like not just the harry potter fandom but with like fandoms in general right this idea that like good characters mean correct characters right and also yeah. that ca- characters are people that you would want to hang out with like i would th- i would say that most of my favorite characters generally are like if not explicitly villains in things like pretty bad people or at least people i probably wouldn't hang out with in real life right but it's sure. like because they're characters because they represent broader ideas you know and are tragic or 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 interesting or make you think about something else rather than like they're not people i want to hang out with you know yeah for sure i just have this i have such a weird reaction to people that that appear to just really want their favorite characters to be without flaw and and like perfect human beings and i I guess that's maybe tied into relating to a character is like part of it um but it it always just like kind of bums me out when it's like stuff like that with hermione where it's like no she's not close-minded but my favorite part of her in this book was her close-mindedness. Right, yeah. Like, like I disagree with Hermione's, like, take on the divination class, right? Like, I would, I would love the divination class. It would be a lot of fun. But, like, it makes total sense for her to behave the way she does in divination class because, like, her character is so well-established that, like, I couldn't really see her acting any other way, right? And it's an interesting story about a very, you know, rigid, logical, book smart character interacting with something that they can't really grok, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's a good story. 
it would be yeah. fucking boring if she just immediately was like, oh, and also I'm good at this too. Because <laughs> then, like, what's the story? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad that we could talk that one out because that one really bothered me. But my the next one might be my favorite of all of these. Uh, I think I know which one this is and I'm bracing I, myself. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So the theme is secrets and concealment. Yeah. There, there was secrets and concealment in this book. I do agree. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite question of all of them in this book club. And I don't know if they were asleep when they wrote this, but <laughs> the question is, do the Marauders trust each other? <laughs> yep, yep. That's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> like, uh, what? The entire uh, crux of the story is no. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's what happened. There's That's there's the an exchange story. between Sirius and Lupin where they're like, "I'm sorry, I thought you were a spy." <laughs> right. Is we- is there any is there anything that makes someone like that means that you don't think they're trustworthy than thinking they're a literal spy? <laughs> it doesn't get much more explicit than that. <laughs> like, I gotta, I, I've gotta imagine that this is just like a like a mishandling of like discussing media in the present tense right which is like technically correct like when you are discussing a work no matter how old it is or whatever generally you say you know this story does this rather than like it did this right Mm -hmm. so maybe they are like sort of maybe they're asking it about like do the marauders in the marauders you know heyday do they trust each other? Not okay, do they okay, tr- but, but even but, in the Marauder's heyday, right. Sirius swapped the secret keeper. Yeah. I, I, and they, and and they all hated Lupin was a Peter. spy. And they all hated Peter, like, like, you know, behind his back or whatever. So, like, so I guess either way, it, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And, and really, nothing that we know about the Marauders, I think, supports any... I mean, they could have trusted each other, but there's there is nothing to suggest that they did. All we get, I guess, is that they turned into animals to hang out with Lupin, which doesn't really say much about trust, I don't think. Um, it says a bit about like compassion, maybe, but that's a different thing, I think. Yeah, I, I guess they trusted each other with the the secrets that they all held, but that's like in self interest because they, I mean. <laughs> And it you, fell apart, you, like, right. immediately after school. So, uh, so that's a great question. That's our shot. Here's our chaser, which is the responses to this question. Mm. Josh says, without a doubt. I mean, if perform- performing one of the hardest pieces of magic to comfort their friend isn't trust, I will never know what is. Damn. That's, yeah, that's trust, is becoming a cool wolf. And a badass dog. Yeah. I don't know what part of that is trust. Um, <laughs> and, and the other one. It's not like it was like a, like a, like one of those like corporate training exercises where like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to turn into, I'm going to stand at the bottom of the castle and you're going to jump off as a human and turn into a dog and I'll catch you. Like they're not, they're not like <laughs> doing exercises. <laughs> The other one, Katie says, I feel only James and Sirius had absolute trust, but only for each other. Every other combination had some misgivings. Uh, I, uh, I don't I think, think we know 
yeah. anything about James and Sirius's this, relationship. Because, right, like, I mean, this is, like, what, like, you were saying, like, I think fandom per- perceptions kind of leaking in, right? Like, like, I'm sure that this gets to explored to death in, like, tons and tons of fan fiction, oh, sure. right? But, like, we don't get any, as far as I remember, in later books, and definitely not in, in Azkaban, any explicit, uh, like, scenes with the Marauders interacting as marauders right like we we don't right. know and the only thing that we do know about james and sirius interacting in the marauders era is uh james stopping the prank that was going to kill snape right so, so there, right there is 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 maybe a little window into like whether or not they trusted each other completely right Cause, yeah that's not great <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, so that that's probably my favorite question of all of these, but I have to include this next one. All right. um, this is also under secrets and concealment, and it's what was the biggest secret revealed in the Shrieking Shack? I had I had to I had to include this one for obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, I think it was the the fact that uh, uh, Lupin would go and get a microwave and get an extension cord and run out <laughs> run out the door. <laughs> and put forks in it and stuff and bl- and blow stuff up in the in the in the parking lot. Yeah, I don't know how I can top that one. That was a pretty big reveal. Um, <laughs> uh, so so yeah, the I'm real, gonna have to go real, with that. No, the real answer here, the biggest reveal is is Snape was there the whole fucking time. He he dramatically takes the the invisibility cloak off. Uh, actually, the biggest reveal is that Sirius was talking to Crookshanks <laughs> the <Yeah>. whole time. <laughs> good point yeah <laughs> uh so none of the, none of the answers are very interesting because this is again like a very uh obvious answer because it's probably the t- the twist of the story that's there so i'm not sure uh not sure what else the answer could be yeah um our last theme is talent i don't know if this is also in reference to the quidditch game um hmm and I, again, as far as a theme goes, I don't know about that. I would say there's a lot of talented people. Like, like you could say there are talents on display in the book. The, Do you I agree? think that the presence of the fireball almost, like, negates talent as a theme. <laughs> because at no point does Harry really need to flex his talent because he's got the best broom on the planet. Yeah. Uh, it seems like the questions are mostly around the time turner because Hermione's good at school and the Patronus charm. Um, This question about the Patronus charm, can a Patronus charm be learned from a book or does it rely on innate talent? I don't know what that's asking me, you know? Yeah. I don't know why you couldn't learn it from a book. Yeah. Also, I don't think those things are opposed. Yeah. I mean, surely it's in a book somewhere, right? I would think so. It's not like, it's not like it's, I mean, like, as the further we get in the book series, we learn that basically every adult has a fucking Patronus, right? Like, yeah, even in uh, I don't know what book it is, the one with the Dumbledore's army, where all the kids get together and they all summon Patronuses, which also coincidentally um, is maybe I think the most fan fictiony chapter in this entire series. Oh, I forgot about that. Where they all get together and we get to find out that Hermione's Patronus is an otter and Ron's is a terrier and Cho's is a swan. Um, So it's really not, apparently not that big of a deal. 
Huh. I mean, the main thing I remember is that Kingsley Shacklebolt can use his Patronus as, like, FaceTime. Hell like, yeah. Like, he can, he, he sends his Patronus with a message, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, the, I, I think that the, like, the, like, I, I'd say, like, Harry maybe has some innate talent here because he's a 13-year-old conjuring one, but I think that's the part that's impressive about it. I don't think there's, I don't think it's, like, arcane or anything. It's in a book, probably. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I, I'm i only putting this together right now that honestly, most of the magic that is presented is extremely difficult and only the highest level wizards can do it uh, is like subverted immediately right. by everyone yeah. being able to do it. I mean, in this book, we had the Marauders map being an Animagus. Yeah, I mean, everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. It's just super cool. So I guess that pretty much wraps up the book club. Um, yeah. I, again, I think they got maybe one pretty good question. And there are more if anyone wants to check out. You have to log into Pottermore to look at the page. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't, no scrubs. You need to, you need to be dedicated. No, uh, yeah. But if you look at the pages enough, you'll get a great award, which I, I have earned my uh, Prisoner of Azkaban Expert Award. So. I still only have my Chamber of Secrets Expert Award. Oh, well, maybe uh, one day. Is, it's a little bit of a dubious honor, I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, speaking of Pottermore, though, yes, um, you were mentioning that that the uh, Order of the Phoenix told us what everyone everyone's Patronuses were, mm-hmm. and good news, everyone, um, for the for uh, anyone who is who had a burning desire to know what our Patronuses, Patroni, Patronuses. Were. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, uh, Pottermore uh, lets us lets us find out. Yeah, uh, this segment is called "Thanks, Joe." <laughs> oh, I still need to put that video up so everyone can see it. It's very good. Yeah, so so welcome to "Thanks, Joe," uh, <laughs> where we where we tell you what our patronuses are. So we've told you our wands. I think we told them that a while back, and then we did our houses. Yeah. Uh, so now, now the picture gets filled in a little bit more. We're gonna do our our, our patronuses. Yeah. Um. This, I guess we can talk about the quiz a little bit. I. It's been a long time since I took it. It's probably the most, or I guess the least personality type quiz. Like you choose from words you like. It's right? very abstract. It's like this first person. Like you're in like a three D forest. And you kind of move around and it like flashes words at you. And then like you pick directions for getting around stuff. Mm-hmm. And like then it sort of spits one out for you. Did you have to do it twice? Uh, mine crashed halfway through. Oh, okay. The first time. So I, I, had, to try, I had to try it again. I, did, I, I think I did sure. it like on my laptop first and it didn't work. Yeah. And then I had to go do it on my desktop. Yeah, it's very visually striking. Um, I, I've heard like rumors at some like that you can possibly fail it if you don't do it fast enough or like Wait, don't. Really? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Uh, I'm a gamer though. So makes sense. <laughs> um, I've got some really, really good APM for the Patronus quiz on Pottermore. Uh, and I guess. I I will reveal mine. Um, I guess I picked water at some point. Is my, the only guess that I can have as to why I got this, and I, my Patronus is a shark. That's really badass, honestly. It is pretty badass. Like, uh, sharks are pretty scary. I would sharks say. Are, does it tell you like what kind of shark it is, or is it just shark? No, it's just which is weird because I I've heard that other animals will have like varieties. Like I think it was um 
Maybe the actor that plays Jacob in Fantastic Beasts got like a specific kind of terror. Oh, he got like Hammerhead Shark or something. Didn't oh, did he? he? I don't know. I'm mixing them all up because I sat down and watched all of them. So maybe it was <laughs> maybe it was Eddie Redmayne that got like a like a specific breed of terrier. But no, mine is just shark. Um, it it looks like a. I guess it like from the graphic, it probably looks a little bit like a great white shark. Ooh, but very probably cool. it's just like very generic shark. I would say. So you'd send it and it would chomp all the Dementors. Or yeah, that's, that's fucking sweet. Yeah, that's thanks, rad. Uh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> thanks, Joe. Uh, <laughs> mine, mine is a little less uh, majestic, I would say. It is very, oh? it is, it is, um, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not disappointed with it, but mine is Wood Mouse. Huh. Which is a little mouse, it's a cute little mouse. Um, I'm not sure what, I think the only thing I can think of that I picked that could maybe have like brought this on is I think there's a part where there's like a log coming at you or you're like running towards a log and like you can either go around it or over it or under it. And I chose under. Oh, so that's you got a small mouse. I So I got a small. That's the only thing I can think of unless it's completely random. But yeah, it's a it's a little mouse, which isn't as cool as a shark. But, it, you know, my it's are, a different vibe, you know, it's cute. Yeah. I can uh, deal with, yeah. I guess my like my comedy imagining of this, um, because right now, uh, you know, we just recently watched the Prisoner of Azkaban movie, which we'll be talking about shortly, and and there's the scene where all the Dementors are, you know, attacking Harry and Sirius, and and the the stag shows up and and blasts them all away. Um, but I'm imagining, you know, you are in the same same position, and you're casting your Patronus. And all the Dementors, like, get up on little footstools like a cartoon elephant does to, like, <laughs> to, like, <laughs> like, when they see a mouse. scared of the mouse? Yeah. Uh, so oh, that's, that's what good. I'm imagining. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead of, like, just blasting them away, it's a little more, a little more trickery involved. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It'll, it, it'll it'll nibble on their cloaks or something and they hate that. And <laughs> they, they do. And they get a broom and they forget about sucking the soul out of whoever they're fighting yeah for sure so now you know what you have to say (laughs) (laughs) thanks joe (laughs) all right that was a great great segment uh our first and last segment of thanks joe Uh, i don't know if it's our last segment of thanks joe i think (laughs) (laughs) that's every episode yeah every episode is a is a segment of thanks joe (laughs) Uh, maybe our first explicit uh uh segment but yes uh i will post the video of of matt lewis getting his uh his patronus and being very disappointed and saying thanks joe because it is fucking incredible yeah i think this clears we i think we've done all the pottermore quizzes uh or gone public with them except for the over morning house yeah we'll we'll be able to save that for a special occasion i don't know when but maybe for i don't know maybe for the next fantastic beasts movie or Sure. I, Something like that. I mean, they've got to go there in one of the movies, right? I hope so. I mean, I, actually, I, mean, I don't. I mean, no, it's ter- It's just fu- it's fucking terrible. But like, they're going to, right? Yeah, they absolutely will. Yeah. Uh, they just have to go to Paris first and Hogwarts. Um, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, I think that wraps us up for our uh a pottermore extravaganza do you want to go on a break and then we can talk about the movie yeah let's take a little break and then come back because i think we have a lot of movie stuff to discuss sounds good
Hello, and welcome back. Um, we are going to finally dig into the Prisoner of Azkaban movie, which I am really excited to talk about, actually. Yeah, me too. Um, it's just, I mean, we will get to it, uh, but it is just like, damn, that was a cool movie. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, just some background info. So it was not directed by Chris Columbus. This is the first one. Uh, Chris Columbus, I guess, was like on board to direct more of them. But like after the second one decided, no, thanks. Um, uh, I guess to like spend some time with his kids is decided reason. He's still a producer on this one. Hmm. Um, uh, And instead uh, is directed by and I apologize for this. My Spanish is terrible. Uh, It is uh, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. and it's a super interesting choice of director. Like, like they they went through a few people. I mean, let me see here. There are some other kind of interesting choices. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was like on the short list at one point, um, hmm. but he he kind of like poked Alfonso into doing it. Um, there's actually a pretty recent story about them like like kind of like arguing about it, and like <laughs> del Toro didn't want to direct it because he felt it was like too. This is a this is like such a Del Toro thing. He considered the movie too bright and happy and full of light for him. <laughs> like he wasn't <laughs> interested in doing it, which is like like that is uh, like absolutely from his perspective. I can see that. Like he, usually he directs much darker stuff, but it's still funny to think of Prisoner of Azkaban being like bright and happy. Um, yeah, that's funny. Uh, there's a really <laughs> there's a really funny one on the wiki. It says that uh, Mark Forster who directed uh, Finding Neverland, and what else did he do? He did Monster's Ball and Stranger Than Fiction. Like, he's done some, I guess before Preserve Azkaban, he'd only done, like, Monster's Ball and Loungers. It's interesting that they were choosing more, like, adult directors for this in general. I, I just had this just this moment, and it was, it was so clear in my mind uh, when you said that he directed Finding Neverland, um, because I'm just now, like, what if Sirius was played by Johnny Depp? <laughs> oh, no. Like, I it's mean, just I guess so, to, it I guess is so clear. Been, yeah, it could have, I mean, like, that would have been an okay era for it, right? That would have been. I mean, honestly, like, I, other than with other information that we know of now in retrospect that seems like it would be a smart casting yeah Um, but he's not he's not english so yeah um but specifically he didn't want to work with child actors anymore after finding neverland (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know i don't blame him yeah that's not unreasonable uh m night Shyamalan was I mean, there is a big twist ending at this one. Sorry, that's probably a mean thing to say to to Mr. Shyamalan. But I don't know. uh, uh, I don't know if it's because because keep in mind this was still before he sort of like branched out from like trying to do the Sixth Sense again. Like he was working on the Village at this point, which Uh, is I think I saw that one hundred percent still one of those. I feel like I've seen way more M. Night Shyamalan movies than uh, that makes sense for me just because I'm not a movie watcher but I'm like boy I sure have seen Lady in the Water why <laughs> oh god one day we'll, we'll have to do like a bonus episode specifically about Lady in the Water because we had a great conversation about our like shared fragmented memories of that movie fuck that movie okay. so bad <laughs> such an awful movie but like like specifically our like teenage memories of seeing that trailer all the fucking time oh my god for some reason the wisp lady in the water yeah the, AS- <laughs> the asmr trailer 
<laughs> yeah, um, that would have been wild. Uh, like that era of M. Night Shyamalan directing Preserve Azkaban. Yeah. Pretty, pretty strange. Uh, Kenneth Branagh was 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 uh, was also on the list, which uh, was, let him do it. I know, right? Let him do it, and let him also bring back uh, Gilderoy Lockhart to like. Please, be in the, uh, <laughs> like, can, can you imagine the scene in the Shrieking Shack at the end of the book? And it's like we got everyone bursting in, but what if the last person to burst in, like after Snape, was Gilderoy Lockhart? <laughs> like, oh I'm my here God. too. <laughs> Oh my god, that would be so fucking good. Like, imagine, like, it's the same scene, but, like, Gilroy Lockhart is, like, commenting on everything happening. Like, like, like he's like, wow, it's like a real party in here. Wow, it's like one of my book signings. Like, ah, oh, I've, I've heard of, I've heard of an anime just, I suspected Peter might be one of those. Like, please. Oh, please, that would be so good. <laughs> that would be fucking incredible like oh yes i i too thought he was a werewolf hermione very perceptive i just wanted to give you a chance to to figure oh, it out what a missed oh, opportunity fuck he's such a good character he Bring really is honestly like it's all make like even him monologuing to rosemurda about the store that was that would have oh, made way more sense because that, uh, that basically is a lockhart scene right with, with mm-hmm. the, the minister of magic like trying to like wow rosmerta yeah like Ugh. that would have been fantastic oh wow anyway so they they settled <laughs> on alfonso coron uh he previously had directed like the thing that came out just before this was Itu mama tambien which is like a very very good movie but also like a very very like uh not children's movie it was i think it was nc17 when it came out here or, hmm. like, had to be wow. cut down um and then i think the main reason like like or like maybe the main film that like in his repertoire at that point was uh, a little princess he did a version of that um hmm. with ch- a lot of child actors in it so probably more in line with like what they were looking for than sure in. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah there <laughs> i do i do remember a lot of joking around at the time because like when he was announced as a director like basically everyone knew him as the guy who had just made like a very raunchy nc-17 movie uh that was like source of a lot of late night talk show comedy if i remember right just like Hmm. interesting very good movie um um and yeah i i this is something that we will be commenting on i'm sure when we're actually discussing the movie but like he brought in a ton of changes to like like he demanded that they film on location uh for most of the movie which god thank you yeah right like like there i actually did not know how much of the previous two movies had been on sets like obviously the hogwarts stuff they'd like gone to real cathedrals and castles and stuff for Mm -hmm. interiors but for the exteriors i guess a lot of the first two were on a soundstage which makes sense in retrospect because it's so flat all the time uh yeah uh and this has so much like really cool rolling hills and like 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 jagged cliffs and countryside stuff it's super gorgeous and like mm-hmm. i'm glad they made that change because yes um it's so much more interesting to look at uh there's a lot of special effects stuff in this movie um and there's an interesting note here like i'd say like this the effects are well animated to the point where like they did not stick out as much as i was worried they would mm-hmm. um like they are still obviously CGI and quite dated, but like they are used effectively for the most part. 
Um, there's one interesting thing here that I guess they originally did want to use the uh, puppets for the Dementors. Interesting. Which uh, could have been really cool, I think. But I get like I think specifically like they couldn't. It says something about like they couldn't get the cloaks to look like hmm. intimidating with a puppet, like because obviously like yeah, I don't know. Like, I you guess can't I really can get see a, that. Uh, like I, I liked. I was pleasantly surprised by the CG, so I think it was it was pretty pretty okay. I think puppets could have been cool, um, but but I don't know. I, I think like in comparison to the last couple movies, um, like it the CG definitely looks dated, but it doesn't just kind of look floaty and fake to me. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is like I guess some of the puppet stuff still sort of survived because the the one the CG dementors are like based on video footage of them putting the puppets underwater and like that's how they got the oh they, cool like, figured out how to animate the cloaks looking kind of flowy and that's you know. great yeah that's so that's kind of neat um and then this is the last movie that John Williams did the score for uh he, oh he, he stopped doing the the Harry Potter soundtracks after this one. Hmm um and i guess we'll talk more about it but it is a really good soundtrack i think it is uh all right let's talk about harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban the film yeah let's do it so before uh before you watched it what were your your, like expectations and like worries or whatever going in yeah so uh i guess i was coming off of reading the book and am kind of still feeling like the third book is going to be my favorite of all of them uh it definitely had its had its problems but i just really liked it and i think that it was like pretty emotionally resonant with me uh and i was worried going into this movie because uh, while i'm i won't say that the first two were bad they just felt very uh like nothing like they're very (laughs) forgettable to me and i i was worried going into this one that it was going to uh, kind of strip the story of that emotional core. Um, I guess my biggest memory from this movie was the was the Lupin werewolf, and I was, uh-huh. and so from that I was a little bit worried the CG was going to be really bad. Um, but I guess th- I mean this movie has the reputation of being the harry potter movie that is also just a good movie so i was i would say i was cautiously optimistic but i was worried after the first two yeah yeah that makes sense like the first two definitely have some really good stuff like the first two you know i would say that like they are solid adventure movies and that like they're certainly not terrible um And, like, as far as, like, a big-budget Christmas blockbuster thing, like, they definitely are better than a lot of things you could go see in the theaters, right? Like, sure. Like, pretty good movies, cool locations, like, the acting is charming, but, like, they just kind of lacked something. And that's such a lame thing for me to say, because, like, that's entirely subjective, right? But, like, that that's how I felt about them. Like, we just kind of don't have whatever it is that, like, yeah i think that like my takeaway or the way that i think about that because i do know what i know what you're talking about and it's that like we had just read the books and then i sat down and watched the movies and they just felt very much like a sequence of events i'm like this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then it uh-huh. was over and that was just like and it was like yep that pretty much maps 
to the books and the things that happened. I think they made some pretty good cuts and like some pretty like smart screenwriting 101 changes, but it just didn't have I just didn't feel anything. <laughs> right. It's I like guess. the scaffold like they built the scaffolding and like Yeah. Not much more, you know? I don't know. Like it's 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 weird to talk about just because like there's nothing I can specifically point to in either of the first movies that's like this is objectively terrible, right? Like there's a couple of bad, you know, effects shots and like the acting can be kind of corny because they're like 11 years old, but like none of those things ruin the movies really. Like they're definitely watchable. They're just like paint by numbers, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and they strike me much more of it as like bring your kids to see this movie, which isn't isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it felt like they were like, especially like the art direction stuff. It felt like they had that in mind, right? Like it's inviting and warm and uh, clean. Yeah, Um, those are some squeaky clean movies. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's maybe the 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 like that where I would kind of pin it is like they are just very they are very clean, easy to watch movies with no rough edges or like um risky ideas in terms of like art direction or interpretation of events. You know, yeah, like yeah, like they just they just like very literally take everything from the books and like that's definitely not bad and they do a good job of it it's just like to watch as a film it's a little less interesting because there's like no directorial flair to it really yeah and this movie like immediately has that wow Um, (laughs) like like right off the fucking bat um uh I, i will say real quick before we get into it like my worry going in was almost that like I love this movie too much after not because I had not I had not watched this movie since uh, like it coming out I don't think but like even still it like this is definitely something I can like trace a lot of my interests now back to uh in yeah. terms of like the style of thing that I like you know like like uh the the visuals the the music uh the mood like the overall kind of like gothic tone of it like absolutely stuff that i can like say like this was probably my first major exposure to that kind of thing mm-hmm. and so like going into this i was almost like is this bad am i just going to be like either disappointed with this or on the flip side am i going to be like making excuses for this movie to like <laughs> you know like convince myself it's still good or something um and maybe i am but i but i had a good time watching it so <laughs> yeah um but yeah, I, I guess let's let's kind of just walk through it. Like, yeah, let's do it. So right at the beginning, we 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 start with uh, Harry in Privet Drive uh, doing some magic, trying to read a book under the covers. Uh, yeah, you can go. Um, you can go back, and when you edit this, you can put in that Cinema Sins ding. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. magic outside of school. Harry should be. <laughs> Executed. shot with a gun <laughs> yeah it's this i don't know it, it's 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 i think it's like almost emblematic of what i love about this movie and what it does with the source material is that like you could technically uh like hum and haw about that even though i did check and i'm pretty sure he is like doing homework like the the, the spell book he is reading is about Knox 
Um, yeah. Uh, and so, but it's 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 this great little sequence where he's like doing magic, and then he has to like pretend to be asleep because Vernon keeps on thinking he's hearing something and, and, and bursting in, and it like to me just has so much. One, it just like it gives it gives us a good sense of like the world and the characters without saying anything. There's no dialogue here other than Harry like saying the spell. Uh, but like, I feel like you could probably watch this scene, not having seen the previous movies or even reading the books and like understand the relationship between these characters. Right. Yeah. I I think like I, the only, like I, I guess this is a lot to focus on like one, I guess that is the establishing scene of this movie, but like it makes so many people really mad too. Um, And I think that it does, it's like a good scene because it does such a good job of communicating so many things at once in just like a very short span of time. Like uh, I I asked you earlier um, if you thought this was uh, the scene was also a masturbation joke. And I, and I laughed because you said, no, it's more of a masturbation metaphor. But I think that's true, right? It is true. Yeah. Like, like I absolutely kind of get that vibe from it. Cause like, like this is a, a, I I also say that with like knowledge of the director's previous films, right? Like like Mm -hmm. that's very much his wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, this is the Harry's growing up scene, right? He's 13 yeah. Yeah. now. Yep. That, that's what this scene is. And it's fine. And I'm just, I'm just not that mad about, about the uh, ministry of magic arresting him. For I, it, you know, I, it is, it is a, it is a decision that like maybe clashes with like some previously established canon, but like for that little trade off, you get so much characterization in about 30 seconds. And I yeah. think that's so much more important. Yeah, uh, here's a pop quiz for you. You see your teenage uh, teenage wizard neighbor casting spells in his bedroom. Uh, what what cops do you call? Do you call A, the Supreme Court? Uh, that's all I've got. I call, I call, I call the Wazengamot. I call the Orrors. I call uh, the SWAT. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I call, <laughs> I even call some MS-13 gangsters sure. that I know just to put, just to put the, <laughs> put the screws to them. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. I, yeah. It's like, maybe, maybe it's like a lot to like fudge thing was like, okay, well he's doing homework, but I like, you just get so much more character development out of this tiny little scene that like, it's totally worth it to me. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I guess that like is also a good barometer for like anyone listening with those similar complaints of like where we're probably both coming from viewing this movie right like Mm -hmm. i think we are both people who are probably more invested in like character and emotion stuff rather than like literal adaptation of what we saw on the page yeah I i think that's a good rule of thumb especially like in terms of, you know, when I'm watching a movie and I watch a, a scene like that, as someone who's pretty familiar with the, the established canon, I guess, I'm much more interested in whether it was effective as a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that in some ways, like, oftentimes, like, contradictions like that can end up undermining the story. But when I look at this, that, that might not be strictly canon, I'm like, okay, it's one, an effective scene, and two, doesn't undermine the story that's being told, so I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and then we get into the we were like right into the um uh Aunt Marge stuff uh right after this. And I think there is another immediately like another really interesting change here from like the previous films is did you notice how much like handheld camera work there was in this stuff? Uh, you know, I don't know much about movies. I can tell you that I thought that it looked really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair. But like, it, I guess, like, yeah, I guess the the camera work on in these in this movie, like, as a, it looked more like decisions being made. Right. <laughs> I guess <laughs> that's so. That's that's actually like a super like like that. Yeah, that's a good a good way to put it. Because if you're saying that, like, you know, like movie making and cameras and stuff like aren't really something you pay attention to as much but like you noticed it right like yeah i I think there's gonna be a lot of stuff like this as we go through this movie where i'm like i'm not really a movie person but i noticed this and liked it and i think that like even in contrast to the first two movies it's really easy to like zone out on a lot of like visual flourishes because there aren't any right like (laughs) uh, like i was i was definitely engaged in a way that I ha- have not been or am not typically yeah. engaged. I just like, like immediately, like when Harry is like talking to Vernon before the door opens and like, as they're bringing um, Aunt Marge in and stuff, like the camera, instead of like, just like being static or like being on a dolly or whatever, it like moves very obviously, like someone is there holding it on their shoulder or something. And it like yeah. gives it this really kind of intimate quality and like, or like, just just like like this is normal like this is a normal scene and not like we staged this or something right Which yeah it's it just has like and i don't think there's a single handheld shot in the previous movies <laughs> i think it's pretty <laughs> much all um like just very stable uh camera work and it, it's just like a very immediately noticeable thing for me um i love that they just cut straight to the ant march stuff too like oh yeah like, yeah uh, I, f- I feel like we can say that a lot where, where the places where it condenses are just it's it's really good it's well done yeah and like to to the previous movie's credit i think they did a good job of compressing some of the dursley stuff too but this feels even more just like 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 this just leaps right into conversation and there's like no exposition and like no um like like they're they're just they bring her in they're sitting to dinner like there's this great little thing that like attention is only really called to at the very end of the sequence but like there are multiple tvs set up in the house for yeah for, for dudley to watch and i i love that detail uh-huh. um it also like i mean aside from the the like and i don't know if this is really countable you know marge getting blown up this this definitely felt like it consciously shied away from a lot of the like fat joke stuff mm-hmm. from this scene in the book um it focuses so much more on dudley being obsessed with tv than it does about him being fat or whatever and like i felt that was a much more interesting and like fun way to handle that yeah I, there's this great shot of aunt marge like floating off and it's all it's it's very funny um and then it like maybe it zooms out or, or backs up and and you see Dudley and he's like kind of watching and then he like turns and gets absorbed back into the TV uh-huh and it's it's funny too because like on it on its own that shot is really funny but I was noticing before it established that there was like another TV in that like sunroom that they go through <laughs> that he had there are at least three so there's the one directly in the corner in the in the dining room 
There's one in the sunroom, and then I'm pretty sure there's a third one behind them that is reflected in the glass door. So he's got <laughs> three screens that he can see in this sequence while they're all talking and like dunking on Harry's parents. It's just like such a good like I don't think Dudley even has like a speaking line in this movie. He's just like there to sort of provide Dursley flavor and it's so good. It's quite good. Yeah. So he blows up Aunt Marge and like runs out into the night. Uh and that like I said that that all happens quite quickly and I think, like, everything looked good before this, but I think this is where I, like, really noticed it, is all these night shots, where it's just, like, pitch black in all these scenes, uh, with just, like, a lot of, like, wet streets and, like, lights in the distance and stuff. It just looks so fucking good. Yeah, there is a, there is a mood, there's a big mood in this, (laughs) in this movie, um, and it establishes, establishes it pretty quick, um, I, I will say that, uh, I as we're going through the movie, I'm realizing that you have poisoned me because you made me watch the Cinema Sins video, oh, and now no. like and now like as you're taking me through it, I'm just like I'm getting mad all over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we 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 did. I guess that's something we'll get to later. Sort of like a fan reaction to this movie. Um, yeah, I just have, but... I'm just having a hard time holding it back because you're taking me through the movie, <laughs> and I just hear that stupid ding, and it makes me really angry. So. Um, so, you know, we, we, we get him, we get Harry seeing what he thinks is, you know, the dog, um, and then the night bus shows up, and I guess this is, like, the first moment where it really diverges, right? The night bus sequence is, is very different from the book. Uh, Yeah, and, and even, uh, like, Stan, right? Like, he is characterized differently in this movie than I took it in the book, Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like if this was a different movie directed by someone different uh, that it might have been much more face value, but I really enjoyed this scene for what it is. Yeah. I like, I like Stan in the book. I also want to say that like me, like saying that I like a change in a movie doesn't mean I didn't like it in the book. It's right, just yeah. a different thing. <laughs> yeah. He's much more benevolent in the book and kind of dumber. I think in the book too, he's kind of like pleasantly silly. Yeah. He's like the- a bored teenager. Yeah, and here he's like more of like a, like kind of like a dirtbag, I guess. Like you don't really see that much of him, but he's he's a little more cynical, and he like berates Harry a little more directly for not knowing who Sirius Black is and stuff. Yeah, this seems to be like kind of a, a common thing that comes up in a few different places in this movie, where um, where I think that like this is a new thing for this movie, where it takes a scene like this with Stan, and it makes it a little bit more sinister right on purpose because i i think to us the viewer it is a way of communicating like harry's perception Uh, and i think that's really smart because obviously in the book we are getting a lot of of uh information about harry's perception and i think this it does a good job of using film language to do that in a different way yeah because in the books it's a longer sequence and like the night bus is like weird but comforting after he's seen the dog in the street Mm -hmm. whereas here it's more like because this is so compressed like we're still in the like harry is nervous and unsure of what's going on so everything has like a little bit more of a sinister edge to it Mm -hmm. um i also i mentioned this uh to you after we watched it, but um, 
I there's one little line they add here that I really love when uh when we're getting the exposition of like why the bus can move the way it does. Mm-hmm. Um and you know Stan says like oh muggles they don't see nothing do they? And there's well I guess we should should mention there's an also an added character here. There is a shrunken head uh uh voiced by a famous comedian I can't remember the name of of the comedian but it's a, a famous British uh uh comedian. Hmm. Um and but like the shrunken head has this great line like after Stan says that you know muggles don't see nothing do they and and the and the head says right but if you still if you poke them with a fork they still bleed right um which yeah. sets up also there's like this cute little like almost anti action sequence with them waiting for an old lady to cross the road mm-hmm. um and it just sets it's like it's a nice little line and this is such a specific thing for like the way I read the books too but it was nice to get a line in there reminding you that like muggles are still people with value right like yeah i think and i also think that like with the trajectory of where this story is going it's a i mean i'm not saying that that was why that was put there but it is nice to see it be said (laughs) yeah i mean right exactly like like it, it was probably more just intended of like, oh, we need we need an extra joke in here because we have another character. But like, it, it kind of works for me. Um, yeah, I I feel like the scene, the night bus scene. Um, I I think that a lot of uh, Harry Potter fans have a really emotional reaction to this movie, and I can imagine being someone uh, coming off of two Christopher Columbus movies, Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus. Um, and sitting down in the theater to watch the third one and having this night bus scene be very jarring. To- well, because it's also like, like we we got to like set the stage, I, I guess, a little bit here, too, because it's like the soundtrack all of a sudden is like blasting jazz at you. And uh, like there's this like repeated gag of the bus stopping really quickly and Harry slamming into the wall. And it's just very different from anything that's been in the previous movies and i could definitely imagine seeing this and going like what the fuck is happening especially if you were a movie only watcher right yeah that's true um i i just like i'm i'm as we're going through this and and i've been thinking about this movie uh and like i've been trying to kind of puzzle out people's reactions to it and i feel like this scene it's like um for you know someone who's really into harry potter and is going in with like a certain expectation this is like the like you pick up your your cup of sprite and realize it's water right like (laughs) like it's i i feel like a lot of people have had that just like oh i don't like this reaction that really is just a difference in expectation right yeah 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 i can see that or like getting getting food not realizing it's spicy or something yeah like because this this definitely goes hard quite quickly like in in the in the complete opposite direction of the Chris Columbus ones. Yeah. Um. So I guess there we, we so we have our big first action sequence, and then we get to the Leaky Cauldron finally. And I think this is also a big shift of a scene. Not not in the same sense of like uh, I guess like not not like like a different kind of action sequence, but like the Leaky Cauldron has like been like artistically completely revamped. In uh-huh. a way that, like, a bunch of the movie has. And I love it. But I can also, you know, see people being annoyed about, like, the inconsistency. But, like, this is all so striking to me. The way that they've redone all of the stuff in the in the magical world here. So, like, 
First, I guess there's like the really great gag with uh, the car in the alley that's alarm is going off actually belongs to Tom. I love that. I think that's, that's like so my, good. That's one of my favorite gags in the movie. And it's really funny because like, that's another one that I bet really pisses off some some like diehard book fans, right? Because it's like how like he owns car. Like, does he know how to drive? Because it's like like most wizards don't know what cars are. I'm just like he lives in London. Ah, I don't care. But that's it's the so... joke, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah, what's like, you so think good it's just... about that. Yeah, like you think it's just some like muggles car that's parked there, but then he like comes out and like clicks the key fob. I loved that gag. Um. I'm like Tom himself is like a big change too. I don't know if the barkeep in the first movie was explicitly Tom. I I don't know if it's actually a change, but like as the like character who is leading Harry around the leaky cauldron, Tom is now like this like kind of hunchback guy. Uh, and there, there's a lot of reactions I read online saying that like, oh, why did they make him stupid? And I don't think they did because he like walks onto the bus and like talks to harry normally and like clearly owns and drives that car i think he's just weird right like yeah uh because there's because there's during the exposition of uh uh cornelius because cornelius fudge is there like he is in the book and he just kind of explains to harry that like don't worry like we deflated aunt marge and you're not in trouble and you're going to hogwarts uh but like tom is like offering him food in this really funny way <laughs> like he's just like lifting up different like things and holding them up to harry and like harry's like passing while he's trying to listen to i thought that scene was very funny i i enjoyed it yeah and and i, I just liked everything is a lot darker and i say and i know that sounds like i'm saying the movie is darker what i'm saying is everything is literally darker like everything in in the wizarding world and i think this is like this whole scene with fudge and tom in this room and it's like it's like spooky and cool and there's all this dark wood on the like wood paneling on the walls and um, and the lighting is super striking too yeah like, and i'm just yeah. really into it yeah it's just like we, we i'm sure we will be saying this a lot but like there is always something going on visually and i think that that is a big change like this scene is 100 percent exposition right it's just cornelius fudge talking to harry about like his school year mm-hmm. but we also have like this like little sub like th- story going on with like tom offering harry food repeatedly like it's just very visually busy in a really and i i don't mean like i think it's easy to like fall into the trap and say like if something's visually busy it's like too cluttered or, or and, like it's a bad thing but like this is more like there's just so much detail in every shot like like there's just something going on all the time and it's really fascinating to watch i think Mm -hmm. no i agree um what happens after this so then we get the um monster book of monsters thing the prop is so cute this is a practical effect Uh, and it's adorable i i love the monster book of monsters and um and like I, I like how like grimy the room is. Yeah. This is just such a different version of the Wizarding World. Um, this I, is a version uh, of the Wizarding World that leans into the like in multiple ways. Honestly, like I'm sure this is an argument that that like people have had on and off for years since this movie came out. But like, I think the version of the Wizarding World, even if the details don't exactly match what the book says. 
the vibe of the wizarding world being like like basically up to date tech and culture wise with like maybe the renaissance at best and then <laughs> magic sort of t- took care of the rest right because they don't need technology as much like this shows a world like that so much better i think yeah I, I definitely think so. I, I feel like this movie spent so much less time invested into making the Wizarding World be primarily something for viewers to see and think, I want to go there. Like, that was something that I didn't think in this movie. There was no point where I'm like, I wish I was at Hogwarts. And I feel like the other movies are really invested in, like, making people have that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um That maybe that's part of the disappointment. And I I am not invested in that at all because it's not real (laughs) right it's a lot less escapist yes um it's it 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 is showing a world that has its own problems and grime and stuff and i really like that stuff Mm -hmm. uh so like the monster book of monsters action sequence is very cute there's the there's the puppet um (laughs) uh it's got little eyeballs it's it's very very good there's a scene directly after this that everyone seems to hate where a maid goes to like knock on the door and there's just a roar and she leaves and everyone's like, well, what's in there? It's like, I don't know. That's the point. That... It's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> this movie discussion is going to kill me. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'm like trying to talk about these scenes, not in the context of people being mad, but I just can't help it because it's just, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, what's we go and hang out with Arthur Weasley next, right? Yeah, and and I, I'm like I'm sorry to be such a nerd and like to to talk about camera work again, but oh my god, this sequence is so good because it's this is the one that like starts with them all sitting at the table, and then he like pu- Arthur pulls Harry away from everyone talking at the table, and they just like they go into this alcove and they like have half the conversation about Sirius Black, and then they move further away as the topic gets more secretive uh-huh. into the darkness, and it's all one shot, like it's- it was. This is a good. This is a good looking movie. It's I'm a like, good fucking I, looking movie. Like I, I am not a nerd, uh, luckily, and I don't <laughs> notice things like that. But like when you describe, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was really cool. And it's like definitely one of those things. As not really a movie person, I don't note. Like I don't look at that and I don't say like, oh, what a cool shot. But like when you point it out, I'm like, oh yeah, like that comes through really strong. And I was left with the feelings of that like the the tension and the intimacy of the scene without really yeah more about it so because like there's still conversations there's still stuff happening like again just like with the tom and cornelius scene there's stuff happening in that background shot too like Mm -hmm. like by the time we get to the end there's this part where like percy walks over to like a floating teacup or tea um pot that like pours him some tea and like Mm -hmm. walks off screen and stuff it's like just like little details like that like really cute stuff and also like i think this is kind of like the first big like damn daniel Radcliffe is an actor moment for me too because the scene with arthur weasley is really great yeah yeah um just so this like is our, this is our introduction to the serious pauline right i mean yes i guess stan talked about it but this was uh arthur telling harry that Sirius is after him yes yeah so like 
I guess like before this too, we, there was a part that I thought was maybe a little jarring that you pointed out that was quite funny was when Harry left the room after the Monster Book of Monsters thing and saw Ron and Hermione arguing about the scabbers oh, and Crookshanks yeah. thing. And you said it was a little bit like in a, in a video game where you like trigger a, a conversation between two NPCs. Yeah, because he like, walks down the stairs and they're just having what sounds like just the most scripted like conversation there that he's just like observing yeah. right next to them it's very weird that's that's definitely a like like moment where it's like well we have to fit this information in here somewhere so like i get that almost i wonder if that was like a reshoot or something <laughs> like just like or a pickup <laughs> shot just like we got to get some more stuff in here because that's like one of the most explicit like here is a subplot like yeah, moment. but it doesn't even go anywhere, so I don't understand the point. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this, I guess, like, there are bound to be those kind of moments and, like, when you're trying to adapt all that stuff, I guess. It's just, it stands out with how, like, deliberate everything else feels, and that's just, like... <laughs> Especially because it's right before this scene with Arthur Weasley that's so incredible. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like it had the same care <laughs> put into that yeah. in the editing or something. Um, and then we get to the train. We, we move real fast in this movie. We're 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 on the train now, which also is just like one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. Is this when it cuts to like the train and like instead of like the big triumphant like like here's the Harry Potter theme and Ugh. here's the train and it's like the beautiful countryside like the previous two movies. It's just like shitting down rain like at a million <laughs> miles per hour and like you can barely see the train and it's just like rain clouds and and fog and it's like a, a very good mood uh like setting scene and and you know i i think that i realized how not like I guess I talked about it before, right? The, like, I wish I could go to Hogwarts. Like, that feeling. And when I watch the Chris Columbus movies and the kids get on the train and they go through the beautiful countryside and the music swells and they get candy, um, I I don't feel that. I'm not like, I wish I was there. Do you? No. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, objectively, if you offered me the choice, like, would you go to Hogwarts and get cool candy? Like, my answer is Yes. I, but I like I, I don't look at that stuff and feel like whimsical for it. like I don't feel wistful and go like oh man I wish that was me hanging out with Ron and Hermione on the train right yeah and I guess like this is just like a purely subjective thing and, totally. and I, I I don't feel that way when I watch Prisoner of Azkaban on there there on the train I'm like oh that looks cozy that's a mood <laughs> <laughs> there's a, I it's it's almost like the reverse effect from the previous movies were like like it's less that like i see the original movies or the first two movies and go like damn i wish i was there but i do see the shot of them in the train compartment where it's like very cozy and it's like really really rainy outside i'm like damn i've been there you know yeah. like i i know what that feels like because like you know we live in the pacific northwest right like get a lot of a lot of rain and then like like I, that's something I really like is the sound of rain, like yeah. at night. Uh, yeah, maybe that's so what it is, and also the grime. I may, I, maybe you can shed some insight into this, but like everything is dirtier, like 
every, at every part in this movie, right? Like yeah. everything is just like a little bit grimy. And, and for whatever reason that in my brain translates to more real to me, um, maybe because we are in the Pacific Northwest and we've got a lot of grime and <laughs> grime and rain <laughs> and dirt, but uh, it just feels more lived in, right? Like, like everything, the, yeah, it's just not as pristine, and that that sterile, pristine vibe that the other movies had just didn't really do much for me. Like, The Leaky Cauldron is a really good example, I think, because I'm assuming it was filmed... It looks like it was filmed, like, in an actual, like, old London-style pub. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, like, if you go in, like, a real old building like that, like, that's what it looks like. There's, like, exposed brick everywhere, and, like... The wood is old and stained and, uh, you know, the, 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 it's very cool and kind of like um, cold in, in a lot of these buildings because they're made of brick and stone. Um, mm-hmm. And like you really get that vibe from a lot of the sets in, in this movie because I just think that they like, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, like, like there was a real push to film on location more. And I think that like when you film on location obviously the reason you don't film on location a lot of the times because it's way more difficult than filming on a set um yeah but it's but a I harry th- potter movie you have one hundred billion dollars <laughs> yeah um but, but like logistically it can be more difficult or like you know finding stuff that will match exactly what you need for a scene and so like but i think it's always worth it pretty much like unless it's a movie where you literally can't where it's like you know like this movie takes place literally all in a sci-fi city and we need to build an entire like city streets and stuff like that. That makes right. sense. But also good sets show through too. Like, I don't know, I'm thinking like original Blade Runner or whatever, but like there's just something about like making artistically making something look shitty. Yeah. It, or like not shitty, but used. Cause yep. like, even if you go to the nicest city in the world, like walk around like there you know there's there's like stuff erodes because tons and tons of people have been there and like hogwarts is an old castle this train is old and has had shitty kids on it for (laughs) god knows how long how many years so it's just cool to see some like wear and tear you know yeah definitely um it it just always there were so many moments in this movie where I I had a much better sense of place and like feeling like I understood what it would be like to be there. Yeah, uh, even if you so. don't necessarily like think it's the ideal place to be, which I think is like what the older movies are kind of trying to do, like yeah, like capture this like childhood imagination thing, which you know, I think is valid. But I just prefer this version so much more. Yeah. Um, there's a damn Dementor on the screen. The Dementor! It's not Uh, a house elf Dementor, it's a regular human-sized one. (laughs) It's a regular, normal-sized, very scary, uh, I was actually surprised at how effective the Dementor stuff was. I was kind of expecting the CG to be old and hokey enough that I just, like, would have no reaction to it. Um, and there is, there is a moment in this, uh, when it like <laughs> tries to suck his soul out or whatever and there's like the the kind of like the smudge saying, tool like, yes yeah, smudge tool effect it does not look fantastic but like the actual dementor is fucking scary looking i like that they yeah. i like this version of them where like instead of it just being 
and I, I I think I've mentioned this before, and I don't remember where I read this, but I think there was like another thing where they consciously were like, we can't make them look like the Ring Wraiths, right? Because um, <laughs> those movies had just come out. Um, and so like, I like this version of them where they have like a full head covering with the hole. Yeah. Just for the mouth, which is really scary. They're spooky. They're very spooky. Um it's funny talking about this like point by point because one of the things that people always say about this movie is how different from the book it is but honestly like these are the major points in the book too yeah yep yeah we, we don't get into like any radical changes until we're really quite a bit later um mm-hmm. then we get to i think this is maybe my favorite well, I guess let's talk. Let's talk about Lupin because this is Lupin's introduction, right? Like, yeah, like he—he's there. He feeds him chocolate. He's great. I love Lupin. In this I think movie. the casting was great for Lupin. Um, obviously, like all of the teachers, or at least this generation of teachers, are all cast a lot older than they are in the books. Um, uh, but I—I I think I think Lupin is is fantastic. I think the casting is perfect. I I honestly have a hard time picturing like there like there are a lot of harry potter characters that i definitely like even though the casting is always fantastic that i i still have like slightly different mental pictures of right Mm -hmm. uh insert hot mcgonagall joke here (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh but um lupin like this is lupin to me like this portrayal of him um yeah. I, I, I couldn't tell you what it is exactly. It's just a really good performance, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, so he he's introduced. We get the chocolate introduction. Now we get to like maybe my favorite transition in the whole damn movie, which is the double double toil and trouble. Uh, yes, the frog choir. Oh my god, it's so good. Ah, uh, um, yeah. We so like it's all it's still rainy at Hogwarts, and there's just this incredible mood setting thing with them getting in the carriages that take them to the castle, and it's playing this music, and it's like first it's like just on the soundtrack, like like it's just like that's the motif that starts, and then it cuts and it's like oh Professor Flitwick has a frog choir. Of course he does. I I love all of the wiz like the new things that are introduced in this movie as being like mundane stuff that's going on at school i love that there's a choir i love that there's a tambourine player yeah that stuff didn't need to be there and it's great it's a school of course it'd have a choir right like it's one of those things where it's like it's never mentioned in the books but like i love that they thought i'm like yeah it should have a choir like that's so cute to me yeah uh, and like i guess like there's so much visual interest in this movie and when dumbledore comes up after the the choir finishes he's making his speech and there's just like a drum in the background and it's just stuff like that that <laughs> yeah, just I it makes the world that. feel so like alive and yeah I, I don't i i love this yeah it's such a it's a huge shift. Like, also, speaking of places, this looks slightly shittier in this one. Like, the Great Hall looks shittier, but in a good way. Like, it looks smaller and more, like, the floor is, like, more scuffed up and stuff. Like, it, it's... It, this, to me, like, there's a vibe, and I don't know if this is something you agree with or picked up on before and, like, generally about the series, 
But like as the series goes on, there's like this sort of vibe that I get like about Hogwarts that it's almost like has a has a weird reputation and like maybe like a um like like a, a reputation for being like the weird school or whatever because like Dumbledore is the, the headmaster and stuff yeah um and this ties into that for me like 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 this looks so much more like a place that like maybe even like a rich wizard like Lucius Malfoy or whatever would come and go like ew what are, what are you fucking doing in this like dirty castle you know like like it it has a quirkiness to it that I don't think has been there in the previous movies. Yeah. And it's, I definitely pick up on that. And it's like, has the reputation of being the weird school, but like everyone that goes there says it's the best. Um, Right. And, and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess like tying into like, like also after this, we get the, so he's explaining the Dementors and what they are. Um, and we get this great, scene directly after this where like you see the dementors outside but the kids are in the dorm eating candy that like makes them make animal noises and stuff (laughs) and there's no story in this scene it's just there to like provide some like like flavor for the for the kids and i fucking love it yeah it's it's really good and uh you know it does have that moment where it's like they're getting older. They're doing much like more like typical, like 13 year old stuff. Um, and it's so nice to see uh, Harry interacting with like some of his, I mean, he, Ron is there, but he's like interacting with his dorm mates that aren't Ron. Um, and yeah. Cause it's like Seamus and Neville and stuff are there. Right. Like, yeah. And I, and I will get more into this as we go, but I feel like this really sets the stage for this being a story about Harry. Um, yes because like we'll talk about it ron and hermione are very de-emphasized in this story um this is this is a story about harry and so i feel like this sets the stage of like his experience hanging out with his dorm mates and it's not it's not about ron and hermione it's like his school life um and and like how he relates to other kids yeah it's 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 one it's remember when we watched the first movie and then we watched all the deleted scenes and we were like wow all of those should have been in the movie yeah like all of those scenes that were deleted were things like this right with like just characters being normal and hanging out with each other yep um and i'm so glad that like this movie emphasizes that stuff more Uh uh-huh because it's important yeah it, it it is it's 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 what gives characters i don't know like to me at least it's like what makes characters interesting is like seeing them on their downtime you know not just not just like what they do in over the course of the story the plot um (laughs) uh then i'm 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 gonna go a little bit looser with our order here just so we're not like going bullet point by bullet point so like next i believe is the first uh divination class um which I love, I love, this is another like perfect casting thing for me, I think. Uh, but the main thing here actually, like aside from them, like introducing the concept of the grim is this is also the first like Hermione appearing thing with the time turner. Yeah. Uh, and they do a really good job of that in this movie. Um, for as minor a character as she is relatively, like the way they keep on emphasizing her appearing between shots is really funny. 
it's yeah the time turner stuff is like the the changes that they've made are great it like appears like she's just appearing in in shots and it's and that's really fun um or between them rather uh and her time turner is also much more visible than yes yeah she's like you can like see her like actively like stuffing it down her shirt and stuff like as she's appearing in scenes like it's very cute yeah it's like it's one of those and i guess it it, it, it it's like rather than making it a twist they just leave it there for you to notice uh mm-hmm. and like because it ties into the themes so much more hey I, I love to say the word themes after we've we've been talking about the pottermore stuff but like time is such a like constant thing visually in this story like there's clock they've added a clock tower there's that pendulum yeah uh the, you know there's the time turner stuff like it's just a very emphasized visual thing that i really like um but uh Emma Thompson, I believe, is the actress playing Trelawney, yep. and I think she does a fantastic job. Um, I, I think she does, too. I do want to talk about it a little bit, because I am wondering if you felt like it was played for comedy a bit too much. She I has, like, a moment where she trips yes. over something and is, like, a little bit goofier than maybe my read of it in the book um, in a way that I wasn't really expecting. I think it's definitely played for comedy, but I think... It works for me in a way that her continued presence in the books works less, specifically because of what you mentioned about this being so much more of a story about Harry. Mm-hmm. Like, we're seeing this from Harry's perspective, and obviously he doesn't really respect Trelawney. Sure. And the, there's all those great shots that are, like, not literally from first person, you know? It's, like, it's not the Doom movie, but, like, <laughs> there are those shots where she's talking at Harry's table, and it keeps cutting to that, like fisheye lens view of her like zooming in and out and Uh to me that's that's what saves it is because it's like we we are meant to be feeling what harry is picking up on right yeah um so it didn't bother me that much really uh and i i like it's just such a funny performance too like like even if it is being kind of played a little slapstick like it kind of worked for me just because it's like so striking and over the top yeah yeah i can see that it caught me off guard for sure and i was a little bit like I I don't know. I, I think that my uh, like book reading of Trelawney is so striking that it did just kind of, you know, this was I my, would, my glass I, I of would water that I thought was Sprite. <laughs> if, if we if we ever get the <laughs> the the HBO version of Harry Potter that everyone on Reddit keeps demanding, I would <laughs> definitely prefer to see a more grounded Trelawney yeah um but in this movie that like casts the world in this like very off-kilter way i like i like her for this movie a lot yeah i mean i guess this has uh, a little bit of the same vibe as like the bogart scene so in that way i like i like that Um, yes yes yeah um uh this this scene also introduces I don't know if this is supposed to be a named student that we know, like, from the previous movies or books, or whether he was just written into the movie, but I kind of love the exposition kid. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, He kind of, like, appears in the back of scenes, and he's always got a book open, and he's, (laughs) there are, like, three moments, so there's, this is the first one, and they, like, he, he has a book open to the page about the Grimm when, when, Trelawney flips out about Harry having the Grimm in his cup, and he explains what the Grimm is in a very dramatic fashion. 
um he like <laughs> it's he's, good it's it, it's it's really i don't know who he's supposed to be but i love their presence in this scene because also it almost feels intentionally um like silly i guess because also all the characters are looking at him like why what are you talking about like who who are you um everyone's sort of like looking at him and kind of like leaning away it's it's just a very funny uh way to get this stuff across because who was it who talked to, was it trelawney who no it was lavender who like reads about the yeah character. yeah um in the book um but instead we just kind of get this new character who exists just to exposit um it's very yeah, funny in a like dramatic way um that almost reads like a skit um in a, it's, it's, in a good way <laughs> yeah because because he appears the other one that's very funny and striking is when he is there um when Sirius black has been cited for the first time and he has this line where we're like everyone's going like oh my god that's you know duff town's not far from here like I wonder if he'll catch him. And he just has this scene. He's not even like looking at anyone else. He's just like reading his book and he goes like, like you can't catch Sirius Black. Uh, <laughs> it's like trying to catch smoke, trying to catch smoke in your bare hands. Um, and like, it's so jarring and strange. And it's, it, to me, it's like, what's, I'm not a huge like theater person. Is it the chorus who like comes on between set transitions to like explain stuff to the audience. Uh, I don't know. It, it has that vibe to me. Like they're, they're there for the audience's sake in this like very funny, uh, like, like he might as well be looking into the camera in all of his scenes. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I forgot about that. It's, it's very good. I, I like that a lot. It's just so bizarre. It's, it's very funny um so we have divination class it's it's difficult to express talking about this movie how disconnected but also well paced all this stuff feels it's Mm -hmm. almost like vignettes um to me like because it's just like class class dorm class like just very like no real connecting thread in a lot of these earlier scenes just like here are some snapshots of what life is like for harry right now which i really like um yeah but, and i but think it that's sounds such a good so much, choice for yeah for this it just style it just of. sounds disconnected but it's not yeah yeah sorry I, I didn't mean to talk over you there it's it's a it's a good oh um i was just gonna say like with jk rowling's style of of writing like her her, her the book is very episodic almost at this point uh so I do, I do like this choice and it never, f- I, I would say that the first two movies has some pacing issues that I think were kind of coming from uh, adapting a story that was like a little bit of a mess and also trying <laughs> to do it pretty faithfully. Um, like there were def- definitely places where it was condensed, um, but, but I don't know, this, this one flows much more naturally in a way that doesn't take me out of it and in, in the, the first couple do yeah because next we get because like i think it's right after divination we just like cut to buckbeak or like hagrid's care against the care i nearly said care against magical creatures uh, uh, kind of which is kind of what it maybe should be but um, <laughs> um but yeah the the care of magical creatures class with hagrid uh i 
really love the line uh is it hermione or harry who just calls him professor when he like takes them aside asking how their day is going oh Um, i might have have missed that it's a very because it's like halfway through the lesson or something like like he like pulls harry or like pulls him aside it's like it's before malfoy like gets attacked oh Um, yeah and he's like like how am i doing and it's like he says like oh you're you're doing great professor and hagrid just looks so happy it's like hagrid has played a lot less for laughs in this movie uh i like hagrid a lot more in this movie at every point um yeah he he is much more self-possessed yeah yeah that's a good way to put it like like he definitely you know there's there's still the sense of him like being like the you know the the friendly gentle giant with the with the kids but like he like is nearly in like remember how pissed off the actor seemed in the making of for the second one (laughs) yeah because he was like barely there and was only there for like a couple of gag scenes and like here he feels much more like a real person like with emotions and and yeah although at the end of chamber of secrets we got that great scene where they all ran up and hugged him (laughs) and then and then everybody clapped that was so fucking weird i still i always forget that that's how the second one ended yeah it's bonkers oh hagrid's here (laughs) it's nearly headless nick Yeah, so I, I like Hagrid a lot more in this movie, just pretty much at every point. Buckbeak is so cute. The animal CGI in this movie is good. I was very worried about it. They do so much good, like, animal locomotion. Yeah. And like, I'm, like, the CG definitely looks dated. Like, there's just no way around that. Right. Uh, but it looks good. It is and I nearly think, 15 years old. I feel like this comes down to uh, making choices, right? Like, that mm-hmm. is how I feel about this. I feel like that is what saves dated CGI, is it's, like, was this, like, purposeful like visual choices that are not just completely married to making the most realistic cgi thing possible absolutely yeah yeah because it's like the model is clearly not like as high fidelity a model as you could get now but it moves with so much like real animal characteristic like Mm -hmm. The thing that strikes me that I like, I just like had completely forgotten, but like there's all these shots where like Buckbeak is like in the background eating something or like fidgeting around, like foraging. Yeah. And it just looks like a bird. Like, yep. like very, very well done. Um, and it like, you know, like he's like clicking his beak a lot and like, mm-hmm. like moving his head side to side. And I was just like struck by how. Like in a worse movie, those things wouldn't happen until they needed to. Yep. But it's it's they they managed to convincingly make it look like he was an animal that like was in constant need of wrangling. Like, <laughs> yeah, because uh, he's a always, high maintenance hippogriff. Yeah, he's like always fidgeting and foraging and like 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 you know like hitting the ground with his hooves and stuff. It's just like very much like you look at that and go like that is an animal with like feelings or, or or like you know like it has a purpose like it's it's not just there to be um 
you know part of the story like it, it looks like like an animal <laughs> like like behaving like an animal does without like yeah. control uh so I, I was pleasantly surprised by that because i was really worried about buckbeak mm-hmm. how did you feel about the harry flying around on buckbeak scene <laughs> Less good than I think most of the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, it's not the worst. I think it's... There is... The important shot, I think, is the one where they're flying over the lake and Harry looks down and sees the reflection of himself smiling. That's the yeah. important part, I think. Much less important, I think, is the extended sequence of him flying around the castle with the very oof how <laughs> old CGI towers. Yeah. Um, that is just a little much. Yeah, I feel like the, the actual like purpose of the scene and the things that it is like pretty effective at doing which is like again like harry's happiness since that's like a big part of it it's the how you cast the patronus and and his like you know his issues um is great and it is and i feel like the over the top fly around the castle crazy hippogriff flight thing takes away from it yeah it's just it's just distracting it's honestly the same complaint I had with the flying sequence in the first movie, right? Like, yeah, you, we you get what you need out of about a third of it, and yeah. the rest is just kind of filler. The music is gorgeous in this part, um, yeah. So that's nice, but yeah, I I just did not need Harry flying around like the old CGI towers for a minute, you know? Like it just in a movie that's like so well paced and also like feels so deliberately edited it it sticks out as something that's like you could have trimmed this a lot like yep i guess um yeah i you mentioned this and i, I thought it was very funny too the uh when honey flies back down back to the class uh haggard and all the kids have just been like it looked like they've just been like watching him fly around above them because they're just like waiting for him like like, yeah, it, it's it's the it's a very jarring cut to me because it is the shot of of Harry flying around the tower. You get the feeling that he could just be out of the country by now, and right? then it just and then it just cuts to Hagrid, and he's like, oh, he's like, maybe he's not pointing, but he's just like looking up. But they're in a forest. Like, there's just like, <laughs> what have they been doing this whole time? It's very jarring. Yeah, it's it's one of those ones that like nearly breaks the spell because like in the books there were other hippogriffs, right? So like they could have all been like meeting the other hippogriffs but since this is a movie and that would have cost a jillion dollars to make yeah like, like buckbeak is impressive enough on his own for 2003 i imagine that was probably the result of a lot of work i don't think you could feasibly get like 16 buckbeaks in a scene <laughs> like, yeah i um, also think that that m I, like i would have liked to see the other hippogriffs i do think just having one buckbeak is better for the story just because uh, yeah it, it, like, it's a keeping that focus and but uh and also yeah. like hagrid's relationship with buckbeak uh means more because he doesn't just have 16 other hippogriffs in the back um <laughs> that's true that's something i never thought about in the book like what yeah what's, what's i mean not to say ones? not to say that that de-emphasizes like the loss of a pet like it doesn't matter no. but but just that i i think it would be distracting for a movie yeah um, but yeah, it, it does look like when they filmed it, they were just like, okay, and Harry's flying above you, and he's landing, and cut. Like, there's no, 
there's nothing that suggests that they've been like waiting around for 10 minutes while he's been like off on a <laughs> fucking adventure. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is when Malfoy gets injured, which is actually a really de-emphasized. This is like Malfoy's only scene. Um, I think other than film. him getting punched. Oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, but there's a really good, and this is something the book did well too, but I love the ratcheting down of Malfoy to just kind of like asshole school bully. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the thing he does where he like pretends there's a Dementor and points behind Harry and then they all put on <laughs> their, their hoods is so fucking funny. Yeah. And like well acted and, uh, him like he's like sinisterly eating an apple in this scene oh hell yeah and it's so funny and he like throws this apple down and he's like okay fine i'm gonna ride the fucking hippogriff too and he like struts over to it it's like there's all he he's working he's not doing much in this movie but when he is on screen he 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 kind of like hams it up in a really good way yeah i enjoyed it a lot um tom felton does a pretty good job and i i like to see him do this stuff i wish there had been more of it because now i'm just thinking like all i think of when i think of tom felton's performance as draco is like the half-blood prince stuff which i think just like really doesn't do that character justice at all yeah that's gonna be interesting when we get there yeah so it's been good seeing seeing those scenes and he he does a great job in them yeah um so buckbeak attacks him and that okay so like the i'm realizing now how um quickly the pieces all move into place Mm because i think after this is the hogsmeade visit um or the first one rather uh Uh and this has one of my favorite tiny character moments which is like Harry is arguing with McGonagall and she says no I will not sign the permission slip that's my final word I'm sorry and she walks off and he like turns to Hermione and Ron and is like uh like forget about it guys and as they're walking away, Hermione gives him this sad little wave. It is <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Like, it's so heartbreaking. Um, and, like, it's it's great because, like, Hermione and Ron are definitely de-emphasized in this movie. But, like, I like that we still get, like, those little friendship moments with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's it works in a really in a really good way for, like, a story that's about Harry because it's it doesn't feel like it unfocuses it but it still just gives us good little snippets of yeah of ron and hermione maybe less ron yeah uh, ron kind of got shafted in this is, movie but ron is still good in this movie he just doesn't there's a moment at the towards the end of the movie where it's just like sorry ron you're not in the movie anymore um <laughs> and it's just very it's hard to write it feels like something that was probably hard to write around adapting the story right like you know if this if this movie was a standalone movie um and you know unrelated to all the other harry potter movies or books i feel like this movie just could have not had ron in it at all yeah totally yeah easily and i don't think that's like a bad thing um no because he needs to be there because this is harry potter but this is his smallest role in maybe any of the movies yeah probably yeah um uh Lupin's first class um, uh-huh. is another example of them taking some liberties that I love, which is I don't think it's ever mentioned anywhere that anyone has like a record player at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. 
But Lupin sure fucking does, and of Hell course yeah. he does. Lupin's into jazz, and he's going to play some jazz while they while they teach you about bog arts. Um, this is like maybe the first major major change in the story, I think. And like this, this is like where it starts getting into like, um, like just like movie movie rewrite territory, which is the uh, the rather than like not letting Harry do the lesson because he's afraid Voldemort's going to pop up. Uh, he lets Harry do it and it becomes a Dementor and he sees Harry can't handle it and then stops the lesson. Uh, good change. Yeah, I I like I, I don't think that the book version is bad, but I think this works better for a movie where you have to tell the story in two hours, right? Yep, I, I think so. And I think, um, I you know, I like the book. I would even say that I like it more than the movie. Um Mm-hmm. in a lot of, like if i just had to choose one to right. have forever um <laughs> i think that one of the one of the downfalls of the book is is feeling like harry's art gets a little bit muddy near the end like it, mm-hmm. it gets a little bit um you know not focused i guess and in this movie where a clear choice was to to make harry's story be the most important thing i think this is one of the best changes uh to uh to make the patronus arc make sense Mm -hmm. Um, because it's so emphasized in this story it's like the Patronus yeah. is like at the core of the story now. Yeah, um, and it all ties back into uh, like Harry coming into his own as an older kid, and and like him grappling with not having parents, right? Like, like yeah. it's all and like where I feel like the book maybe drops the ball a little bit by muddying the waters in kind of a weird weird way, and like kind of dropping certain threads, like the Patronus thread. Um, I, I think that this change, letting Harry fail at the Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson, is great. Yeah, um, and it makes like it's a very, uh, it's one of those nice little like visual parallel things too, because we get we get Lupin rushing in front of Harry to stop him from the save him from the Bogart, and it's mm-hmm. like the exact same pose and scene as Snape standing in front of harry and hermione when lupin is a werewolf too ah snooping confirmed (laughs) i've never thought about that but that would be it wouldn't it that's it snooping yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love it but yeah that's just such a great shot and like like um also i appreciate it might be a little on the nose I do appreciate that when the Bogart sees Lupin, it transforms into a moon with clouds, so you know exactly what it is, so no one can say... I don't know I what wonder- that is. <laughs> <laughs> no one can say, I I wonder why he's afraid of orbs. Um, is, is Lupin scared of silver dollars? Oh, whoa. Is he Crystal afraid balls? Of- <laughs> what is that? <laughs> is he afraid of cheese wheels? Is he lactose intolerant? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a good change. Yeah, and my favorite scene, uh, or my favorite moment in the scene is when Newt Scamander steps up to oh, do the Bogart, and then no. it turns into a desk, and, and you know, oh. and then Dumbledore's there, and he says, 
Oh, you're scared of working a desk job. Ooh. That's uh, very yeah. quirky, Newt. Thanks. <laughs> God, that's gonna... Like, I'm, <laughs> I was already mad about that, but, like, seeing how also directly that, like, plunders this movie visually in that trailer makes me <sighs> even madder. <laughs> I wonder if they'll be playing the same jazz song. I wonder if Dumbledore will play the same fucking jazz song so then people can go on Reddit and say, DAE noticed that the jazz song that Lupin plays in Prisoner of Azkaban 2003 is the same (laughs) as the one that Dumbledore plays in the Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald 2018. Uh, (laughs) It must be the same record. I bet Lupin and Dumbledore talked about jazz um what do you think yeah that really enhances my understanding of the scene i i feel i feel enriched by uh by this change um (laughs) so yeah that sucks (laughs) (laughs) fucking sucks um i guess like so i think the next major thing we have to talk about is the hogsmeade scene um and and harry getting the marauders map uh Harry gets the map from Fred and George in in this great little scene that is also their only scene, I think. Or, yeah, I think they mm-hmm. might they might be they around the in the Leaky end. Cauldron. Oh yeah, they're like but there. This is, but their, this is their thing. In this, this is book. their moment, and I think I don't think they did this in the previous two movies, but this thing where they like uh, choreograph their conversations mm-hmm. is very cool and very silly um and i'm not sure if it's one of those things that pisses people off but i could see it but like the way that they're just so like scripted and theatrical towards harry and they're like saying they're like waiting for each other to finish sentences and they're like choosing words to like double up on and kind of do little jazz hands for Harry. it's very it's cute i like i like it it's very cute um and it it does something great. I mean, we don't see them very much, but you just get such a strong sense of them in a very short amount of time. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very funny and charming, even if it isn't like, like that's not how they behave in the books, but like, I like this version of them. Um, And I like that Harry is so moody with them too. Like his reaction to the Marauders map until they completely explain what it is. is like, what the fuck is this? Like he's, he does. He says, what is this rubbish? Yeah, he does. It's and he's very like, rude. <laughs> <laughs> Harry is just like a good moody teen in this movie. Yeah. Um, um uh which I guess kind of like comes to a head in the Hogsmeade scene where like you know he sneaks in the Hogsmeade and he gets some candy and he like fucks around with Malfoy. They're at the Shrieking Shack. Oh yeah. Um there's a very funny scene with him uh like throwing snowballs and dragging Malfoy around and stuff. Um they've completely cut Hermione worrying about Harry in this scene, which I think is fine. Really? Like the conflict was important for when Hermione had a bigger role in the book, but like here, I think it's an okay thing to like, just have her be happy to see Harry in Hogsmeade. Yep. Um, I, I think that if they had, I think that if they kept the level of interaction that Hermione had, Hermione and Ron have with Harry, um, but also tried to shoehorn that plot in, then they just both both would have been really unlikable for no reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you could do that, that specific story justice without making it like the entire movie. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So then they see Hagrid and Cornelius Fudge and McGonagall going into the Leaky Cauldron, or not the Leaky Cauldron, the Three Broomsticks, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and Harry, this is such a better, this is like one of two rewrites of a clusterfuck of a dialogue scene. And this <laughs> is like the, such a good change. Yeah. I don't even uh, remember what the like premise of this, like, of this conversation was. Um but it just it was there <laughs> i can't remember exactly why they're talking about it um i think it's more that like harry just sort of like like they see them all walking in and they think that's weird and so harry goes to check it out with the invisibility cloak and just like gets more than he bargained for really oh like, maybe rose murda was was bothering so was it fudge and being like take the dementors away i hate them oh, that's, and then yes, and yes. then they were like no you don't understand and they usher her into like a private room and he yeah. follows them and that's when mcgonagall tells most of the story to which Rose is Murda. so much better uh, yes um like her talking to Rosemurda. and this is another scene that's just like the way this is filmed where it's like again like f- this one this time it is literally first person like it has like the cloak draped over the camera and you can hear Harry breathing. It's really intense. Uh, yeah. And cool. Um, there's like a nice little segment where like Cornelius Fudge walks over to pour himself a drink and Harry has to like hold his breath. Cause he like Cornelius Fudge kind of noticed something. And it's like, it adds a layer of tension to this. That's really not there in the book. Yeah, the only thing it's missing is uh, Snape being there, re- reaching out to to claw at the air. Um, yeah, but Fuck. you know, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, don't worry, Snape will show up dramatically later. Um, oh, I know it. But yeah, and then like he, so he hears, you know, he hears the story about how you know Sirius betrayed his parents and this is Godfather, and like this is another big change he just runs away and like starts crying and i don't think harry ever explicitly cries in this book no Uh, we i think that he goes because like in the book he goes up and goes to sleep and then it's the next day he goes and talks to ron and hermione and he's just po'd he's just gonna go kill him yeah but there's this really great scene where he like still has the like there's it's another good like like way to utilize Ron and Hermione as characters when they're a little less focused mm-hmm. is the scene where he's crying under the cloak and Hermione like reaches out to like pull the cloak off to see him, which is like, I, I really liked that scene. Yeah. I, it was very emotional and it made me very sad. I was very yeah. sad for Harry. Um, yeah. And he had, he had kind of the, I, I don't know. I find it, a little bit i i liked the the combination of the the crying sadness emotion with the like anger outburst mm-hmm. rather than it being a uh and again i think this works fine in the book where he goes to sleep and then is like the next day is like cold calculating gonna kill him right, this, right. Is, this is this is much more of like an emotional outburst yeah uh, an immediate reaction kind of kind of thing and i i think it works really well Another just good, like, acting moment. Like, damn, he's... Daniel Radcliffe is a good fucking actor, I think. Like, yeah, he, yeah. Um, I Actually, I, I can't think of any other place to put this, so I'm going to talk about it right now. Yeah, yeah. Hermione's hair. 
in this movie. Yeah. This is yeah. not this is not a me picking at this particular movie. This is me coming after the film industry, I assume. Uh and I don't know, sexism. Uh Hermione has prom hair in several scenes and it it's really bo- it really bothers me. What like uh, like it is it's out of character, but not even in like a I don't think Hermione could enjoy doing her hair, although it is explicit later that she doesn't. Uh but she has like salon like she just she just had her hair done for a wedding right like she's a bridesmaid in a wedding right it's like it's very it's very like it's curled um but it's very perfect like every curl is in place it it is it is a salon level uh she's she's a bridesmaid kind of yeah it just doesn't look right for her in a lot of these scenes um yeah and i'm like i know that i mean she's an actress and she's gonna have her hair done i don't know why they chose this like pristine event hair (laughs) especially because i would say that like harry and ron's appearances in this movie are maybe the best they ever are i like harry's like this is the messiest harry's hair ever is i think um, yeah yeah uh, and like ron too like ron has kind of long kind of like ron does the thing where he kind of like lazily gels his hair in this movie which i think <laughs> looks really good like as a character thing like he would absolutely be that guy who just like slaps his hand in like the pomade just sort of like slicks it back a little bit you know like like that feels very in character the hermione hair really does not like her um i guess her wardrobe generally is just kind of a weird choice for her character i think in the making of thing we watched she was very excited that hermione got to wear jeans in this oh my gosh she said it many times that she gets to wear jeans and they're they're just the incredible like flared 2005 (laughs) jeans uh but yeah i would say that I I'm a, I took very little issue with any of the costume hair makeup choices, but the Hermione hair routinely took me out of it and really bothered me um, because it doesn't read as thirteen year old who is maybe doing her hair. It is it is yeah. a, it, it is way it is way overboard. It looks more like thirteen year old who's like being taken to a wedding against her will yes or it's, something like it's so bizarre and and i feel like part of that is is there's like another scene i can't remember which class and it's when she pops in uh having time traveled and her hair is up in like a messy bun with like a pencil stuck through it so yeah. i don't know if they were just trying to draw this contrast like the the mm. like messy time travel hair versus her like normal like pretty neat appearance but you can make hair look neat and and like cared for and not look like it was done at a salon i guess yeah that's that's my i think this might be a problem with the movies in general moving forward um like i i don't think i don't think hermione ever has messy hair ever again in these movies from what i remember yeah um i'm pretty sure it's always like really nicely done salon style like quote-unquote curls because that's the problem right too it's like hermione's hair is supposed to be like naturally like curly Curly, and bushy right Uh um uh and i get that like you can't just like like you need to do some work you know in in a in in a salon or like you know in makeup like to get that right but there's a way to, to make an unnaturally 
curly hair look natural that isn't this right like yeah i would i would i would imagine that you can do that with with the with you know makeup and hair wizardry you can make hair look not like it is for a she looks like she's on a tv show like like that's the weirdest yeah yeah she does right Uh, like yeah like ready to be interviewed kind of a small complaint but it did surprise me how much it it took me out of it where i'm like yeah she would not have that here it is very weird Uh, and i think Uh, in the scene she has that she like starts the scene in that with that hairstyle and when she goes and approaches harry and he's under the invisibility cloak she's like there and they're like in the snow and it's just it was like this moment where it's like she she like like running away from a wedding to comfort someone i don't i don't know so so that's that's all i've got to say on that subject yeah 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 no i agree it's a it was definitely an odd choice um um god that just now i'm just thinking about cinema sins again uh, ding because they what they say about that is uh they shouldn't have done her hair like that because Hermione is too young to be hot yet. That's that's a <sighs> thing they say in a video. I hate that's it a thing so that much. They say. It's bad. She's 13. That's awful. Um <laughs> Moving on. I guess I think the next big important thing to talk about that kind of gets like the rest of the movie and the plot in motion is the uh um harry noticing peter pettigrew on the map thing yes good change amazing change i think maybe my favorite change uh it it adds so much to the shrieking shack uh side of the story um it makes lupin's actions like being you know forgetting that you know to take a which to be they also do not even mention the potion like like uh just just not part of the story um but it just makes his actions seem so much more reasonable yep um so we get the scene where harry notices peter pettigrew he heard mcgonagall say that peter pettigrew died so he's like what the hell um and uh he's running around the corridors at night um chasing when he doesn't know his scabbers because and you can hear like like mouse Mm. feet or like rat feet scattering around but like you can't see him yeah, and on um, the map, it's kind of like moving fast, and it's it's a it's a pretty tense scene. It's really well done because he like he like sees the like the feet move towards him, mm-hmm. uh, and then like keep going when he didn't see anyone. So he's like, "Is it a ghost? Like, what's what's the deal?" Um, there's there's a good scene with Lupin and Snape. Um, quality, uh, quality stuff. Also, one of the most I think incredible looking scenes of the movie. Like it's pitch black apart from the the wand light, and mm-hmm. it just looks so cool. Um, but then Lupin kind of dresses Harry down more than he does in the book. I think, like, he's, yeah, Lupin is a lot more stern in the movie. I, yeah. I think, um, um, which I think is necessary. There are a few parts where he has he is maybe not quite as as soft and nice as he he is in the book um yeah when they do the like Patronus lesson he he's yeah. like well it won't be this easy on a real dementor so <laughs> it's the in the in the Patronus lesson specifically i love when harry's like oh i thought about my first time riding a broom and he's just like well that's not gonna work like <laughs> <laughs> that's shit <laughs> that sucks your memories are garbage um <laughs> but he gives him like a real dressing down about like 
like seems like a pretty poor way to repay your parents to ouch and which i think is i like this version of him being mad because it sort of replaces without like introducing that sort of like like quandary with the character um snape's like because snape is the one who who says who gets mad about harry and kind of like says something to that effect right um and i think that because the thing is like in the book snape's not wrong but we hate snape because he's i mean i don't hate snape but like the audience we hate snape because he's the bad guy so mm-hmm. having lupin deliver that angry spiel yeah. i think works i think i think lupin does have a little bit of that in the book because he does take the map away and he, he says does. like don't fuck around but I think but it's, he, I, it's not quite as uh, pointed, yeah. I guess. And, and Snape doesn't get any of that because why would he? Right. Um, but then the, the major, major change here is that like on the way out, Harry's like, I don't think that map actually works because I saw someone who I think is dead. And he goes, who? And he says, Peter Pettigrew. And that's like, there's like this very good shot of like Lupin reacting to that going like, uh, oh, shit. like that's not possible. <laughs> like, uh, but like, um i love i i I like this so much because it it lets the shrieking shack reunion between him and sirius breathe so much easier um yeah like he he knows what's he knows what's up way earlier in this version um and, and it also introduces attention to a movie audience in a like way better way i think yeah uh trelawney's prophecy uh, yeah, I'm just gonna Wait. skip over Quidditch because who cares? <laughs> uh, the important part of Quidditch is that the the broom breaks and we don't see Quidditch again in the movie. Uh, I'm glad. I think that's a very good change. Um, there's instead of seeing Sirius literally, he sees what like a cloud that looks like the dog. I think that is cool. It's yep. definitely like a like big change and like more of like an effects shot thing but i think it is a very striking image um it is and it, and it does give you a very good picture into harry's mindset in what is a story about harry so right I, yeah i'm it's gonna like, give a thumbs up to that yeah it's like there, well there's that and the reason i bring that up is because in it, what happens in trelawney's office is that he sees the crystal ball and then he like sees sirius's face uh and like him whispering harry potter at him yeah. And I like that Harry has like this paranoia in the movie. Like I like the way that they display his paranoia rather. Mm-hmm. Like um, yeah. I think I think it's a good way to handle that. Um Trelawney's prophecy is completely rewritten. Good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um like I mean it's the same like content, but like it doesn't have that it, it doesn't get into like the very specific details that the one in the book does. He, she's just like, it'll happen tonight. The dark Lord servant will escape. There's nothing we can do. Ah, like it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to go, uh, get, grab my copy of prisoner of Azkaban and just white out the old prophecy and just write this new one in. It's so much spookier, I think. Yeah. Uh, and also the performance is very good. I like that. She's like talking while inhaling. Like it gives it a very creepy effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. Uh, I'm just gonna bring us to. So I'm 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 just basically like bringing us up quickly to talk about the time travel stuff, which I think is handled much better in this film and the shrieking shack stuff, obviously. But there is one road bump that we have to talk about, Uh-oh. Uh, which is the 
Whomping Willow action scene. It's so bad. I hate it's it. It's not good. It's not I don't, good. I it one like I've said that I thought the CGI was really good in this movie. I stand by that. It looks like the effects in the scene are really bad. Um, it it re- reminded me of the first movie's Quidditch match, like uh-huh. just the the, the level screen. of like the blue screen and the like character models becoming character like changing from actor to character model because they're like flying Mm -hmm. around in the air it feels feels like nothing has any weight because you watch something on the screen happen and it's like wow they fucking died but they're fine Mm -hmm. uh it's like it's like that shot of draco where he falls off his broom (laughs) and like hits the ground at like 100 miles per hour and just like oops he did the splits ouchie um, so this is a terrible scene, and I hate it, and I don't know it's why it's not here. good. I think I think the best thing I can say about it is like I think I think that like if you looked at the storyboards for it or whatever, I think it is creatively mapped out. Like I think what's happening is kind of cool. It's just that it's handled in this fucking stupid looking way with like it just like cannot do it justice, right? Like like the CGI is bad. It looks choppy in a weird way, like. In yeah. like a way nothing else in the movie is. And there's like all these bizarre shots of like I think the worst one is like it feels like it was shot for 3D, even though it wasn't, because like it, it, why would it have been? This is way before the 3D re- renaissance, I think. But there's like the shot where like Hermione's shoes like fly directly at the screen and like hold there before she like falls down. And it's just like even like this would be dumb in 3D, but even like without 3D, this is like double dumb. Like, are why we sure is... there wasn't a 3D release? Because once you said that, I'm like thinking back at all these like parts of the movie where I'm like, that would be in 3D. Maybe I don't know. I don't think so, but I could be wrong. Here's um, my here's my list of things that would be in 3D. Yeah, uh, this scene with the one mm-hmm. Willow, obviously. Uh, yeah. The scene of the Jack in the Box. Uh, like oh yeah coming yeah. out at the screen uh the se- the seasonal transition where the whomping willow shakes off the snow and the snow splatters on the camera oh yeah yeah I'm, uh the night I'm bus a- probably i'm actually really bothered by this so i'm gonna find out if it had 3d release. yeah i don't think it did but it could have maybe it was a hmm i thought i want to say like a 3d started a game with avatar which is a few years after this. Yeah, it, it just seems so... Uh. You're right. Like, like there's a lot of stuff that, like, comes at the camera in that way. But that, that could also just be, like, a stylistic choice, like, regardless of 3D. I'm not it, sure. Yeah, like, I feel like most of this, like, I, I re- when I say that scene of the Jack in the Box, like, coming at the camera, I love, I love that effect. Like, that is great. Oh, I the shot think... where it turns into the Dementor is awesome, right? Yeah. Like, so that yeah. definitely does not need to be in 3D. Um, huh. No, I guess not. Hmm. I was just sure of it in a moment. I, that, like, I was like, this there, scene, it has to be. This scene looks like it, right? Like, yeah. Like, um, uh, uh, so they're, 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 they're going there because I, I guess I should like rewind just a little bit. Like, they've uh they they went to see hagrid they think they've seen the uh execution ron gets knocked over by sirius black and dragged into this thing uh malfoy or um malfoy got punched by hermione yeah um 
Uh, and I'm just like making sure I'm covering all these bases because we'll be revisiting them uh, after the Shrieking Shack scene. But so then at least after this awful CGI fight, we get the Shrieking Shack, uh, which I think is f- fucking amazing, like so much better than the book version. And the book version was OK, but yeah, the book version was OK. It was a little weak um, in especially where I, I, I do feel like the book was pretty strong. Uh, the the three chapter uh everyone being very mysterious sequence still kind of i'm i'm still a little bit in shock uh (laughs) from that it was a little bit unbelievable and this just like clips along at a really nice pace it doesn't feel like anyone is like concealing anything for the sake of tension Mm -hmm. um gary oldman does a great job uh so this is a, a huge positive change in my mind the the shot of it like when ron's like pointing at the wall and he's like he's an animagus and it like like has all the paw prints on the floor and then it just like zooms up to serious black it's so fucking good it's so stylish yeah this is a stylish movie yeah and like when lupin appears and they hug and like it, it, it this feels a lot better in terms of like it's a chaotic scene with a lot of characters trying to explain stuff um Mm -hmm. because like they cut right to Sirius and lupin trusting each other uh because he knows that peter pettigrew is is alive like that that allows it to get to the good stuff in the scene so quickly so like they 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 appear everyone's confused lupin um uh like like is trying to calm the kids down but like hermione's like i can't believe i trusted you like i know you're a werewolf um but then like we also get like snape running up in a really funny way Uh, uh, my favorite instead of him like leering in the in in the corner and then like appearing after the whole conversation he like runs in like mid-conversation and they all have this like it, it just works so much better as like a chaotic scene i think like like it, it is so much more believable in the movie version that characters aren't able to like say all the information they have because someone is always popping up and yelling something else yeah and i sure quickly. get i sure get the feeling that if they could say it they would whereas in mm-hmm. the book there were many opportunities to just <laughs> what? fucking the, say the, it the major thing here right is they change a key line which is instead of serious saying the dumb thing about like there will only be one murder tonight which like is very leading in the book uh here he just says only one person will die tonight which is because here he doesn't view it as murder right like he's he's just saying no i'm here to kill someone but like i'm not like a mass murderer which you think i am Um, Uh, should we should we talk about the the line in response to that uh which in the book is ron saying if you're gonna kill harry you're gonna have to kill us first um that line is given to hermione in in the yeah how do you how are you feeling on that one um i don't love it because it just means like ron is relegated to the background more but i think the reason they did it is because ron is bedridden and it would be harder to shoot that in an interesting way right like hermione gets to step in front of people to say that line Uh which makes sense but it is still a bummer, I think. Yeah, I this was one of the things that I was expecting to really not like. I feel like zoomed out 
talking about it, you can definitely make a case where it's like Ron is a little bit character assassinated, I guess. Like like the things that are like pretty important points for him in the book are taken away or like redistributed to other characters. And I was so ready for that to just be like an objectively bad thing in my mind. Um, But like this being a story about Harry and having Ron and Hermione be very uh, de-emphasized, but Hermione still has to give us the time travel quest Right. It makes sense. It makes sense to me that it's like you just kind of cut your losses, right? Yeah. And because if Ron had this like huge character moment, kind of out of nowhere here at the end of the book, I would I would probably scratch my head at that just as a as a mute movie viewer. Whereas right. Hermione has a lot more going on, so it it feel it feels a little bit like a um kind of a necessary. Uh, it's, it's a necessary concession because otherwise. Ron, like, like if you want Ron to have that line, Ron basically also replaces Hermione in the movie, right? Because otherwise it wouldn't work because you'd have to, like, go back and emphasize Ron more. Right. And, and I also think that, like, the big point of that line is, uh, like, the thread that runs through the book between the whole conflict between Ron and Hermione and the whole pet thing and the firebolt thing is is that I, I think the kind of clarity of like the friendship and their bond mattering more than all of this other trivial stuff Mm -hmm. is what really gives that, that moment from Ron saying like, you know, like I, I am a loyal friend above all else. Yes. Meaning. And in this, where all of that stuff is cut out in a way that I think is fine. I'm, I'm really not clamoring for that plot line to be in the movie. Um, it would just be really out of nowhere. And I'm, I'm kind of happy that they gave Hermione that thing to do instead. Because also in the book, it's an echo of an earlier scene, right? Because when um, Snape is bad-mouthing Hermione in class, Ron sticks up for her, even though it's in the middle of their feud. Yeah. Um, and then he does it again in the Shrieking Shack uh, in, in a similar situation, just way more dangerous. And so, but like in the movie, because that conflict is de-emphasized in the Snape scene, Ron just kind of like has a little goof there. Uh, he he says like he's got a point, you know, like yeah. When when Snape is is telling her she's a know it all, um, and so like it, it's just like you need both, right? Like like that needs to be an echo of that earlier scene, and if you don't have that earlier scene, then you that development is meaningless. So I get it. Um, I I definitely can sympathize like i like ron and it's a bummer that he doesn't get more to do but like i can see why they did it this way i guess i i would like to follow that thread a little bit because i think that a lot of people think that ron is like an actively like negative character in a lot of these movies um and and one of the things that is brought up is that scene where in the book he stands up for Hermione even though they're fighting in class right and in the movie he makes a joke at her expense do you feel like that takes away from his characterization no I don't in the movie specifically because I think that since their bickering has been kind of de-emphasized in the movie Mm -hmm. um I think that moving because because the thing is you can point to that scene and say like oh look you know in the book ron is way more supportive of hermione but that's kind of cherry picking and also not really um 
generous to like how adaptation works because there are also like 50 other lines in the book where ron is a total asshole to hermione yeah and so you have to pick and choose and i and so i think them moving one of ron's quips into that scene isn't like uh, a like cut and dry example of them like oh we're gonna disrespect ron by by like fucking this important scene up for him it's like no we, we are writing a movie we have the snape scene we don't have any other scenes in this script yet where ron like says any of these like pick any of the fucking lines he says in this book where he like kind of snipes at her like so they just kind of like smooth those together i guess and i i think it works yeah i i, I do i like that reading of it i also like uh, as you're saying that i'm like realizing like yeah we got his 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 little his little uh mean thing in the class with her but the other thing that we get in this movie it's like the things have been swapped because their conflict is so de-emphasized we see a lot of time that ron and hermione are hanging out together and having a grand old time right well, like, Hogsmeade, right yeah yeah we see them being uh like very friendly and supportive of each other uh for the bulk of it whereas um the book is essentially like flip-flops that right like the bulk of the time they're fighting yeah but when it matters he they yeah come together um yeah so yeah so it's like it's it's a it's a bummer on a on the level of like well i do like ron and i like rupert grin's performance and gosh it would be nice to see him more but i also feel like the way that the movie shuffle stuff around it's completely justifiable if that makes yeah. sense yeah i'm also just not here for a four-hour movie where they write <laughs> right in it and try to make sense of that plot line um yeah so good good stuff um good scene peter Pettigrew. like i love the scene with him where like lupin and sirius are like circling him like dogs like yeah like, that's a really cool visual uh and also like very thematically appropriate for them like it's just like like a lot of cool visual flair that you wouldn't see in a more literal adaptation probably yeah um uh lupin's werewolf shit is spooky yes i was very worried about the werewolf transformation um I'm not going to say the werewolf looks great or anything. No. The entire sequence where Sirius is hugging him and he is transforming and it does the cool visual like zoom out on the eye. Mm-hmm. It's like a little bit corny, but I super love it. I'm it's, I'm so I'm so into it. I I specifically love Sirius trying to talk him down. Um Yeah. Like yeah. that's something that the book doesn't have uh that I really love um it's it's very emotional and it like is such a better because you you can't even it's not even emphasized like you kind of hear him talking underneath all like the snarling and like the music and stuff like he's not the focus you just hear that he is trying to comfort him um and like that's really cool i think yeah this is a this is another good example um of people getting mad at something uh and and for me like i i know that that's not how werewolves work and it does it is kind of like it doesn't make sense right like serious would know better right like mm-hmm. Lupin is not going to be talked down uh but the emotional impact of that scene sure makes it worth it um yeah especially I, because like like you know i think it's perfectly reasonable that like like Sirius also has that really great scene with Harry right before this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, 
you there's like a pathetic quality to it like of course he knows that he can't talk him down from being a werewolf but he's gonna try because like everything else has been going so right you know yeah and and he got his friend back and he loves him and and wolf star is real um (laughs) and uh sorry i had to work that one in Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and then even after even after that like lupin is transformed and there's a moment where hermione tries to talk to him too and i always see people like oh what is is she stupid and i'm like well no she just watched sirius trying to talk him down like it has been it has been demonstrated in front of her and so she does it too like that makes sense to me also like lupin is like in a halfway state because like he's whimpering and stuff and it's very sad at that point uh-huh. like like there's like a like you know it's not going to go this way but like there's, there's like a glimmer of like well maybe it'll be okay oh, um it's so good i love i love this whole scene it's so tense and exciting and yeah um and and tragic too um yeah Peter Pettigrew yeah. escaping and he does the sp- he Peter Pettigrew is a lot spookier in this also oh, like creepy wave. Oh, I love it. Um obviously he's not this in the book. He's he's sniveling and pathetic and um and doesn't honestly seem that malevolent. Like obviously he does evil things. Um but like it's all played as like he's so pathetic that he does bad things. But in this it's like oh he's evil and he gives yeah. the like creepy wave and escapes and uh I I really enjoy that. But I, I like that change cuz like yeah, you'd probably have to be pretty evil to kill your friends. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and also thir- and also 13 people. Um, and then yeah. live for 13 years as a rat. Um, uh-huh. so so I I enjoyed that a lot. Uh that's another moment where like the CG is not like objectively good, but it's so creepy and cool looking that it works like like oh, it's such a good transition. Yeah. Um I, I I'm going to come out in favor of the non-wolf werewolf model. Uh and oh. here and here's my here's my evidence for this. Mm-hmm. Every single movie that tries to do werewolves as literal wolves looks exceptionally stupid. There's no way to make that look cool. That's here's, my evidence. Have you seen Twilight? Those wolves, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> here's my insanely dorky reasoning. Okay. Um, and it is that if you look at a lot of like like old ye, ye oldie literature and like folklore about werewolves mm-hmm. um the the thing hermione says at in the class is actually i think maybe sourced directly from something like this but like the werewolves in a lot of european folklore and like american folklore too like if if you're looking at like you know um 1600s puritan like east coast stuff uh is that werewolves are identifiable because they have no tails and are hairless or like varying varying (laughs) from myth to myth right um uh and so like i think i think they just went with a more horrific like folkloric werewolf rather than like a literal like turning into a wolf thing yeah yeah, I, I think that people take issue because Hermione has that line where she says that they're nearly indistinguishable from real wolves. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I guess I just don't give a shit. Yeah. It would I be cool. Like, like I think wolves are fucking cool, right? They're pretty badass. It would be cool to see. But I think making him more, like, kind of pathetic and creepy um, works here. I think wolves are incredible. I have gone and seen like real wolves at a wolf sanctuary and every time that you see a wolf you're like wow 
they sure look wild and and like wild animals um i think that doesn't translate very well on film um, i think specifically for this it would make him look too cool right like yeah and also they're just dog like they're just dogs like they're I, big, yeah they're big they're big scary dogs i just i think that this worked a lot better for me than if they had just just done the well the, the literal wolf yeah um, i mean i guess it would have looked like the serious dog right yeah but maybe like bigger. a weird like big terrier thing uh yeah um but yeah I, I it's it's definitely a choice right but it's i i don't hate it um yeah i could see why someone might not like it i i mean it's obviously pretty subjective but i'm pretty into it it's not pleasant to look at but to me that is the point right um, like he doesn't he, it's it's like a whole shitty thing right like yeah he doesn't want to be that yeah yeah right because that, that's like the thing is like if you make it look too cool you're on the risk of like well why wouldn't you want to do that that looks badass right like yeah, uh-huh. I mean, that's like twi- Twilight re- werewolf territory, right? Like, yeah. Like, being a werewolf in Twilight, as far as I know, nobody at me about this, if I'm wrong, um, there's no downside, right? <laughs> like, it's right. just like, like just an cool, objectively cool thing. You turn into a cool fucking thing. badass giant direwolf, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> um, and then, fast forwarding a little bit, uh, uh, Harry and Sirius are cornered by the Dementors at the lake, uh, but someone casts a really big AoE spell um, and and saves them. A powerful blast. Powerful fucking blast. Uh, and then we're in the infirmary. Uh, and Dumbledore is there. This is like... This is like Dumbledore's first big scene, like new Dumbledore. He like he had the speech at the beginning, but he hasn't like really interacted with Harry yet. Yeah. Um, I like this Dumbledore portrayal. Me too. It's very yeah. different from the first one. Who obviously like he died, so they couldn't get him back. But like they very consciously did not have the actor like copy that a- other actor. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, it also it, like totally speaking fits this movie much better. He has a little his edgy Dumbledore. That's what I'm gonna call him. Yeah, Dumbledore like, with an edge. This Dumbledore seems like someone who would do all of the manipulative shit that Dumbledore does in the books, right? Yes. And and like it, have it be believable. Yeah, I know everyone is still mad about him giving the "Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire?" performance, but uh, I think that like. Jury's out. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, We are running real long, so I think I'll just kind of talk broadly about the time travel stuff, right? Yeah, Um, it sucks. um, It's a it's a bummer they had to put it in the movie. uh Honestly, like I think they did. I think they did a good job with what they had, but putting in a a midnight hour time travel plot is so insane. It highlights the absurdity of it. I think yes um, uh, of how it's placed in the book i think i agree i, I think the thing that's that that makes it work is that the clock motif has been so constant throughout the movie that it feels like way more of a payoff here even if it's not directly a story payoff it's at least like a like visual storytelling payoff in a weird way right uh yeah actually i had this like i mean i not a movie buff. Uh, I had this very hilarious moment with my own self where earlier in the movie, there's just like a giant pendulum in the background. And I was, and I was 
saying like, wow, this movie has so much visual interest. Obviously, I know there's going to be time travel, but I didn't put it together uh-huh. in my mind. And then I was like, oh, that's what that pendulum was about. Uh-huh. I, under- I understand. It made me feel very smart, which I like when movies do that. Yeah. And there's like so many scenes with like Harry in the clock tower as yep. well. Like, yeah. like just like clocks are very emphasized. Um, even in like the soundtrack, like there's a lot of like ticking and like very like rigid repetition and like like the music in these scenes too which i really like Mm -hmm. so i i I think it's like yeah it's dumb they had to do this but they also had to do it like they went for it well like you think about all the minor changes they made to this movie that they that people complained about can you imagine if they just cut the time turner uh people would go ballistic fucking ballistic right like um (laughs) yeah but no, I like yeah. So it's like it's still silly. I think they did the best they could. I like that they added elements like um, Hermione throwing rocks to distract Harry, uh, the calling the werewolf to get it off their tail in the past, so they have to run away with it in the time travel version. There's little stuff they did that made it so they're not just hiding in a bush the whole time, which is good. Yeah, um, I definitely laughed out loud when Hermione said, "And now we wait." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I guess the other thing that's really good here is, like, the mood in these scenes is well done. Like, it's very tense. The music is, like, has, like, a bunch of clock stuff in it. Like, the amount of ravens ratchets up to, like, there's a fucking lot of ravens in this this movie by the end of it. Like, the Halloween mood is just, like, kicked into high gear for the time travel stuff. Um, They're, like, hiding in the pumpkin patch. There's, There's birds everywhere. Um, there's the spooky executioner guy looming around all the time it <laughs> looks really cool um and we get a lot of buckbeak here too who again just like continues to be like incredibly well animated for something this old yeah it's uh this whole like i don't think that they needed this time travel but they kind of did a lot with it like i thought <laughs> it was i thought it was fun and i i definitely think that uh it took like liberties with the time travel, but if they hadn't, it would have just been very, very boring since all they right. do is wait around. Like, and they gave them like little, little tasks and little things to do. Um, and it was, it was just like, it was just fun, I guess. I think the thing that sold it for me um, is when they get to the part where they're watching themselves get attacked by Dementors and Harry's like, my dad's going to show up. that is so heartbreaking oh it's so sweet um because like he's so excited and he's going like my dad's gonna show up any minute now like hermione's getting more and more agitated and like it's so sweet and sad um i think that makes all of that stuff worth it uh yeah um because that is a really great scene and like a really good performance and then he does it he he casts the patronus uh and gets rid of the dementors we still get that famous line your favorite line from the book uh mm, i knew i could I do knew it i could do it because i'd already done it already done it i uh, couldn't couldn't leave uh, that but they did have they did add him saying does that make sense and hermione saying no which is good yes <laughs> I, I i will say that i do appreciate that we did get a little bit of a payout because like I just don't, I don't, I, that line makes me so angry because we spend the whole time, like, it, the, the, 
book is about Harry and it's about him finding happiness and be like becoming self-possessed and realizing that he can find happiness on like stand on his own and figure that out for himself out of the shadow of his his dad and this like crazy family history thing that, mm-hmm. that he has going on. So why? Why? Why, why, why would you take that moment where it's like he finally does it? He found that happiness inside him <laughs> and cast the Patronus. This is the payoff moment. And they have him give that line. What is that? <laughs> it's a very stupid line. Why would you do that? Why would you just like turn around and just like destroy your own narrative arc? <laughs> I just yeah. don't get it. And I honestly, to this, like, we just read Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, like, two weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I can't remember what the actual happy memory that he thought of that allowed him to cast the Patronus. <laughs> I know that it's in there, and I don't know what it is. Um, I think he does say it in this movie, so I will give credit to that. But it's also changed. In, um, yeah, in the movie, I actually really like it because it says he says he he remember he thinks of like his parents talking, um, and he doesn't even know if it's a real memory. He just likes it. Which what a great way to wrap up uh, the way the book did it. Which there was no way you could do it for a movie, but the uh, the conflict that he had hearing his mom's voice as she's dying and feeling guilty about wanting yeah. to hear her. You can't. do I mean, that, there's that's like so messy to get into in this movie but what a great way to take that and i really love that that movie version yeah yeah coming Um, up with something that feels really genuine and still true to that essence of his story i i I really liked that but no we we also still get this fucking line already (laughs) i knew i could do it because i'd already done it fuck you i hate it It's so stupid. Um, I will say, this is kind of like the two stupidest moments in the movies are kind of packed in here. Uh, (laughs) Hermione then getting off of Buckbeak to rescue Sirius, and instead of doing Alohomora, just says Bombarda and blows the fucking lock off the door. Is that is that the is that the spell that Peter Pettigrew cast to like blow up the street and thirteen people? What is that spell? I don't. I think it's a movie special. I don't know if that ever comes up again. It was. Um, It's actually really funny because it's delivered in just the most matter of fact like she swings off a buckbeak and just points her wand and just blasts the door open it's so weird i feel like they did it just because like it's like oh this is the catharsis scene right like we just need to get it over with quickly but it's it's so it just kind of comes out of nowhere (laughs) like like i'm gonna blow this fucking lock away like yeah um but like it, 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 that's a real minor thing because like the reunion scene between Sirius and Harry before Sirius flies away is also very sweet. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot, and I'm glad that they, I they gave Dumbledore's line to Sirius. And yeah, it just works a lot better. It it makes it makes you understand Harry's feelings about Sirius much better in terms of like the film versions. I think. Yeah. Um. Uh, he got his cool new dad. <laughs> he got his cool new dad who also has a sweet new uh buckbeak to ride, hang out with damn harry um, you got a cool dad uh so th- i think th- that's like the emotional core i think of like the the ending ending but there's like there's a little bit extra where we we get the firebolt um and this is actually probably my favorite change and this is a very con- <laughs> this is a very controversial one i know a lot of people hate this but I love that the, the firebolt is just at the very end. 
um, it makes it so much less of a moral quandary, I think, because I, I had a hard time relating to Harry doing Quidditch stuff because I was just like, you've just been handed the best broom in the world, right? And you're just kind of being shitty about it. Here, Sirius giving it to him as like an act of gratitude um, and us ending. <laughs> to be clear, we do end on a very funny freeze frame of Harry's face. Uh uh in a very kind of cheesy but kind of sweet ending but like it it cuts it 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 ties into the thing that was important about the buckbeak flying scene which is how happy he is while he's flying so Sirius providing him with a new way to fly as gratitude is so much more emotionally resonant i think yes I I think that there are a lot of things that people point to that they don't like about this movie um, that I oftentimes disagree with, but I can at least recognize that uh, it is like preference or subjective kind of like, oh, I would have liked to see this or whatever. This one I will not compromise on. This is a 100% good change. Yes. Um, I, I, I think that the Firebolt stuff is easily the weakest stuff in Prisoner of Azkaban. Um uh, an absolutely bizarre series of chapters um that like do not service the story no. in any way um so to see that adapted in a way that um actually like when he gets the firebolt and sees the feather from buckbeak i just like had a real emotional response to that and uh i think that is good <laughs> yeah it's a I think it's a great ending. And like the, the freeze frame is very funny, but I think it's earned. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a kid's movie still. It's cor- yeah. It's like, uh, it's corny. Yeah, it's stuff, absolutely. Stuff, and, stuff can be corny. I think that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's allowed. Um, there is just like an earnestness to this movie. That's very interesting. In the fact that it's like, it's both, I think I actually said this about the book too, which is a nice tie in, which I, I think to me is, why i think that even with all the changes this is maybe like the truest vision of what i feel from the books in movie form mm-hmm. is that it is very dark but it is also very earnest like like yeah it is it is dark and spooky and like grimy but like the emotional core is still very earnest and sweet yep i agree i like that a lot uh yeah i i guess like closing thoughts we're at the end now so uh i liked this movie um i (laughs) i i feel a little bit bad because i'm like i liked prisoner of azkaban and i finished the book and i thought to myself this is going to be my favorite of the books and then i watched prisoner of azkaban the movie and i'm like pretty sure this is gonna be my favorite of the movies Uh (laughs) I, i i do not see a way that anything else could step in and make me like it more Mm-hmm. Uh, I I find the fan response to this movie fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really, a lot. It's I almost want to like maybe devote like a short bonus episode to that sometime because there's a lot right. Like this is maybe the most divisive film in the series. I would say. Yeah, and there's like. A lot of, I, I mean, it's it's such a hard thing to talk about because I think that a lot of people don't really have um, 
maybe the language to talk about this stuff in a way that is like like really gets their thoughts across so a lot uh-huh. of a lot of the time i feel like i'm a little bit guessing at what they're trying to say mm-hmm. um and it's clear that this movie has provoked a very emotional response in a lot of harry potter fans and in many ways you know if if someone is is going into a movie like this from a a book that they uh they love so much and they have specific things that they really love and want to see and then they don't see that um i could see having just i I can't tell them they're wrong right right um i think i think the big one uh is the marauder stuff is cut out yes Uh, completely we we do not we do not hear about snape's like backstory with the prank we don't we don't explicitly get a like who are moony wormtail padfoot and prongs um it just kind of leaves it to you to figure it out like yeah um i would be very interested in talking to someone who's only seen prisoner of azkaban the movie because um some people have said that it's confusing like it's hard to keep track of what's going on and i have Hmm. no i have no perspective on that because i I always come at it from reading the book first right um so i would be curious to hear from someone that has only watched the movie and wondering if it's confusing or uh or like hard to follow yeah that would be interesting because i i always got the perspective and i and i can't speak to this truthfully either because i also read the book first but like it seems like most of the cuts and changes were made in service of making it standalone in a way like that's the vibe i get yeah i'm curious because it's like okay if you're walking into the theater and your favorite part of prisoner of azkaban is learning all of the like background lore about the marauders and that's like a really exciting part to you of course you're gonna be disappointed and i can't tell you that you're wrong right Um, right I that's fine. Like I mean, it's the same thing, right? If you can't wait to see Peeves, like that's going to be a bummer if he's not in it. Um, right. I don't think that the lack of those things makes this a worse movie. Right. I think that's the that's the, it's it's the um, wrapping my head around. Um, and I I think it's a it's one of those things where like I don't even like blame people individually for it i think it's more of just like like the i think the way that we are generally like speaking as like someone who went through like the american school system i think the way we are taught to engage with media sucks Uh, oh yeah yep (laughs) and i like when you say like you know like like you you wonder if people aren't like equipped to talk about it i think that is true because like unless you're like going to film school or um you know reading stuff on your own like your main engagement with like media criticism is fucking shit like cinema sins yeah we watched the cinema sins for this movie uh it about melted my brain. I I didn't expect to click on that and be so mad. It's bad. It's like and actively... it made it made me really mad. I don't yeah. get, I like I don't give a shit at all about CinemaSins guy. I don't know his name. Um I don't care if that's how he interfaces with movies. I I don't understand the point. It seems like he must not like movies very much. <laughs> um it's a very specific way of reading a piece of media. Um, I'm very, very bothered by uh, 
the kind of thing that they're selling. Yes. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the way of engaging with media that they are proselytizing or whatever is like so toxic. Um, and like, I'm not saying that you can't be hypercritical. I mean, like we, we're doing a Harry Potter podcast where we are being, we are picking apart Harry Potter. Right. But yeah. like, I feel like we're doing it in good faith. Right. Yeah. Like, like we like Harry Potter. The re- like That's why we're doing it like this. Um, yeah. And, and like, yeah, it's just, it's so much of the fan response to this movie focuses on loyalty to the books and how disloyal the director was and how, Oh, in an interview, the director said he hadn't even read the books until he got the job and making it this weird, like fandom dick measuring contest. Right. Like, like a real, a real director would have like read all the books and loved them and and put in all my favorite details and stuff. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Like whether or not someone already likes a project shouldn't have any bearing on like whether or not they can make a good movie out of it the warcraft director loves warcraft and that movie sucks okay (laughs) don't you dare badmouth the warcraft movie (laughs) here i may not not have been able to remember who the main character was uh, (laughs) but that (laughs) but that doesn't matter uh No, no, you're you're right. I mean, I feel like this was like the Prisoner of Azkaban movie was very good, and I don't give a shit like how much of a Harry Potter fan uh, Alfonso is. Mm -hmm. It's 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 immaterial, like completely immaterial. There there are things that I really liked about the book that I probably would have liked seeing abstractly on the silver screen. Right? (laughs) I I loved the Hermione Ron stuff. Really, too, yeah. really, I did. Um, I don't really like the conclusion of it, although I think that there's like a thread of something really, really great there. Um, do I need it in this movie? No. I, but uh, it's 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 one of those just it's it's just one way of adapting it, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure if a million directors got infinite budgets and they all made a prisoner of azkaban movie i bet there would be tons that were wildly different and also all good and this would be one of them right like like it just i i just i just i just feel like putting so much emphasis on loyalty to the books is so destructive to like enjoying even just like in your own enjoyment like as as someone going to see a movie like shackling yourself to the idea that it has to show me all of my favorite parts from the book yeah is 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 like just a recipe for disappointment i guess like i i think that like i think adaptation is tricky to talk about i um i feel like i would like to throw a bone to anyone that had a maybe negative reaction to this movie um and say that like when something is adapted in this way like i i feel like they're in some ways, like to say whether it was successful or not is like, did it have like the essence of what it was adapting? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so, like something is go- is is taken and and made into something new. And and for me, when I watch it, I'm like, yeah, this is true to the essence of Prisoner of Azkaban to me. Um, 
I and that's a like subjective thing. And I could go through all the reasons why um, why that resonated with me and felt true to my experience of Prisoner of Azkaban. I think that someone could have an equally valid take about why it wasn't true yeah. to to their what they feel about Prisoner of Azkaban. Absolutely. I don't think that's like a this is a bad movie now because of that, but I think that's a good way to talk about reacting yeah. to something like this. Yeah, definitely. I think I think whether or not something succeeds as a movie and how loyal it is to your vision of a book or whatever is being adapted are like two separate like definitely intersecting, but like different things, right? Mm-hmm. Um like like Blade Runner is an adaptation of a short story, right? Yeah. Um, and I would say that Blade Runner is a fantastic movie. Um, and I think that the conversation about whether or not it's a good direct adaptation, if you're a, I think it's Philip K. Dick, like if you were specifically a fan of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, I think there's definitely a conversation to be had there. But I think that also you would also have to look at that movie on its own and say like, and was it a good movie? Because like it is a standalone thing it doesn't erase the original yeah uh i guess i just i i will not i will not hear these cinema style critiques about which, are, this movie. which make up a lot of them and i'm not to be clear not saying that like anyone who disliked this movie is doing that like no no absolutely definitely not. valid reasons to dislike this movie if if you do um but yeah just like the majority like if you go on i'm just talking about like i guess like the, the fandom as as it exists right now if you look at like a lot of the popular criticisms on like reddit and stuff because we were kind of poking around the subreddit for reactions to this movie and you know a lot of people there really like it but a lot of the negative reactions that like get posted there are really just weird like screeds against the director for not liking the books or you know saying that they changed Oftentimes um, they just kind of like they start reasonable and then they just devolve into a list of things that happen. Like mm-hmm. it'll just be like a list of things that are in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. I liked yeah. this movie. I thought I it like was this, pretty good. I like this movie a whole lot. Um, I think it's I think it's just like I think like what you what you said about it like does it capture the essence? And I think it. For me, what I got out of the book is very similar to what I got out of the movie. Yeah, and I, I also think that this one matches more clearly the essence of Harry Potter to me than the first and the second one do. I I do not, uh, I'm not super into the the squeaky clean, um, beautiful theme park aura of yes of books one and two, or rather yeah. movies, movies one, one and two. two. Yeah, yeah. No, I I vastly prefer the kind of grungy lived in hogwarts for sure yeah um so yeah wow this is a a monster of an episode but uh i think this movie kind of warranted it because it was there's a lot to talk about with this movie just in terms of like how it is an adaptation how it differs and also kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movies in a really interesting way where i (laughs) at least as far as i remember i think a lot of them borrow from this movie but never quite recapture the spirit Um, yeah um we watched a behind the scenes special last night uh, and there was a moment where i don't remember who says it but somebody says it's like talking about what the differences are going to be in the third movie and someone's like you can tell it's a different director 
like, yeah. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. you can. I think that's Emma Watson who says that. Um, yeah. Just, you can tell it's a different director. I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. You really, really can. Uh, yeah. I guess we have some, some more movies in our future to look forward to. Uh, this is clearly going to be the best one. I don't think that's too controversial. Uh, can I get Can I get a guess about what the second best one is going to be? I... So I have also not seen Gobble to Fire since uh, I saw it in theaters, but I have very vague memories of Gobble to Fire being similarly controversial for oh. similar things because if I remember right, I could be completely fabricating this out of memory, um, but I think Gobble to Fire nearly cuts all of the Triwizard stuff, aside from the most essential parts, and focuses entirely on Harry, Ron, Hermione drama. Incredible. Um, which I think sounds awesome. Like uh, the Triwizard t- tournament is uh, extremely stupid. I think <laughs> I think I'm probably going to enjoy Goblet of Fire, but I feel like the Triwizard tournament must be one of those things that if you put too much of a spotlight on, it's just a mess oh you so. know what i i also i remember specifically what the change everyone hates is and it's hmm. one that i know you'll love what I, I it is um in the goblet of fire movie they they do all of the world cup intro stuff where they like go around and like see the campsite and everything and like uh-huh. talk about it and then after they introduce the teams the referee throws the snitch in the air and then it just cuts to after the, the match who would ever complain about that <laughs> i for to me that is perfect right like like that is how to handle quidditch um but yeah like uh like, any anyone who is upset about that please come on the shrieking shack because i would love to pick your brain <laughs> please uh, explain why quidditch is fun to watch because i don't get it <laughs> well we have a we have a mondo book to read before we get around Oof. to watching that movie so, uh, we sure do i, I think we're, we're still a little bit undecided about our chapter structure but we'll have to we'll have to have a little powwow about that and look at what chapters we're doing for next week yeah, we, we we will announce on the Twitter. I think for the first episode, we should probably do two. Yeah, because we're just stuck in the Frank. That Yeah, I do not want to be stuck talking just about the fucking Frank chapter. Let's talk That's... about Frank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, episode one, let's talk about Frank. <laughs> That's what yeah. it's called now. Uh... <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, our theme music this week is not Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon, but you should still check them out. Um, thank you so much to all of our supporters on Patreon. We will get some bonus content out for you soon. I, I've been editing. Uh, I've been <laughs> I've been doing a little work with the Let's Play to finish it off because uh, um, there were some sound issues, but I've salvaged some stuff and uh, I have a I had a lot of minecart footage to sift through and it's taken a while. So (laughs) you'll be getting something special there soon. We have some bonus episodes to record, which we will get out to you soon as well. Um, And if you could leave us a review on iTunes, as always, that is always appreciated. And Liz, uh, I can't ask you what, what chapters we're going to read this week to be, to be determined. To be determined. We will Probab- let you know on Probably Twitter. chapters one and two. 
probably chapters one and two. We'll, we'll definitely do chapter one. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, um, until uh, until you hear from us and while you're waiting to hear on that information, I would humbly ask you to please read another book. Please read another book. Thank you.